Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Cryptids of the Corn. Each week, Justin and Jay take a look at a topic in the crypto and paranormal world. They focus on the Midwest and Appalachia of the U.S., but sometimes they venture out. With everything from well-known monster sightings to one-off cryptids, live person interviews to actual fieldwork sneaking in some science lessons, there's sure to be something you'll enjoy. Please join us this episode of Cryptids of the Corn. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Crips of the Corn Podcast, where we like to say we're scientific and magical things combined. Today, you will notice a distinct lack of Jay, Jason, Jensen, the Fleming. Uh, I took all of your guys' advice. I replaced you. I got rid of him. He's in a box somewhere near Canada. Uh, and I replaced him with a Southern woman. And today, we are very, very graciously joined by Rachel. Hey, everyone. Rachel is on. Uh, we met Rachel here at, well, I say we, nobody else is in this room with me, uh, which is a weird feeling. Uh, we met Rachel at Ohio Bigfoot with Sean. Uh, we've done, if you guys watched any of the Frogman videos we did on Facebook, that's what we were hanging out with Rachel and Sean down in Loveland. Um, but yeah. Rachel, do you anything you want to say about yourself? No, just that I'm excited to talk about all of the good stuff we got planned. Oh, yeah. So this is a very different topic than uh, we pretty much ever covered on the show. We tried it two weeks ago with Daphne's episode with the Nazi occult stuff. And this week is another different topic that I've gotten a lot of requests from. And I don't really know why, but we're going to try it. But Rachel, what connection do you have to this topic? Are you one of these people? I am not. I've probably been on a few watch lists throughout <laughs> the years. But I have always had a bit of a um, kind of interest in the criminal justice, um, as well as the psychology side of that. Um, so I originally had the career aspirations to be a criminal profiler for the FBI, but as you grow up, you start to realize maybe that's not the most realistic career to have in life. So after a few years in college, I ended up switching my major to accounting, which is what I currently do for a living. Yeah, I, I did a similar thing, I think, growing up. I really wanted to be the National Geographic marine biologist. Uh, 
and there's like four of those people. And yeah. once you, once you get in those jobs, you stay until you die. And so I went to a more conventional, safer version, I guess, as far as long-term employment. And then I still don't do that now. And then I do... I Oh my gosh, we're already getting so sidetracked and it's all my fault. I can't blame Jay, he's not here. Uh, I do have a story for you already that you brought up about me being on a watch list. Okay, are you actually on a watch list? I was, officially, yeah. I got uh, a school computer shut down and searched. So when I was growing up, I, uh, I still have tons and tons of fish tanks. Everybody that watches the Facebook Lives knows I have a lot of animals. I have a lot of pets. I I'm a fish. I was a fishery biologist, so that's the kind of the stuff I geared towards. When I was probably seventeen, I really wanted to buy a baby white sturgeon, which is one of the biggest. It's so it's uh, androgynous, so it goes both fresh and saltwater. But if it if it was strictly freshwater, it'd be the biggest freshwater fish on the planet. Uh, so I was looking on the school computer doing free time, and. I guess white sturgeon is Russian slang for some kind, something really bad involving children. So I was looking for white sturgeon for sale, and I'm like three or four pages in, and I hit this one, and it gets like the screen goes black, and it shuts down, and the school moderator or, moderator or whatever, the guy that runs all the computers gets like emails about how they're getting uh, searched because it was a trap website and stuff like that. And it was, it was an FBI like trap to try to get people that were looking for that. So I got called down and I had to explain, no, I was, I'm trying to buy the fish. I just want, I want the fish. I don't, I don't want whatever this is. Uh, Two polar opposite things. I know. I guess it's because, yeah, I guess it's, I, I think that's why they picked the sling for that, is because it's right. a very odd thing to try to buy. All right, so, like I said, for this topic, it has been brought up, I can't tell you how many times, we've had, uh, like, reviews that want this kind of topic, uh, so this is not crypto-related whatsoever, but it does involve a real monster. We're going to be covering a guy by the name of McGucket or McGookit or whatever his real name is, but the famous serial killer H.H. H. Holmes. Uh, what I know you have a special story of what drew you to this guy. Um, I just find him um, interesting since he's considered to be the first serial killer in the United States. Um, so, of course, being the first, he kind of gets to be a little bit famous just for that, infamous. Um, but he he's a different type of serial killer than I feel like a lot of the most common ones that were in the um, 70s and 80s. So I yeah. just find him pretty interesting to research and learn more about. He, he was definitely... Like I, we're going to talk about in a second the definitions of these type of killers, uh, but I have a really hard time of calling him a serial killer because it's like I don't know. He just like you said, he doesn't fit what modern society views as a serial killer. He's not a Bundy. He's not a uh, you know BTK. You know, he's not one of these. Uh, 
I don't I don't know. It's weird. Like I like you're saying, but by definition, he is a serial killer. Uh, yes. He is. Sorry, didn't mean to talk over you. You're fine. It will happen a lot. Uh, I do it to everybody. Um, so the we're, let's get into some definitions. So I have pulled up three of the basic units, and the thing is with serial killers, there's not a lot of times they overlap. Like, uh, oh, which one? And by the way, I'm going to put all kinds of warnings at the beginning of this episode. Uh, which one killed all the co-ed girls really fast in the dorm? Um, I believe that's Ted Bundy. I thought it was Bundy, too. So Bundy yeah. is a serial killer, but that instant almost fits spree killer. So that's what I'm kind of talking about. Sometimes it seems like they hop. I don't know. That's just me. I, it's weird. But so what do you think about that kind of stuff? Um, I think it's kind of a, you know, an apple's always a fruit, but a fruit's always an apple. Yeah. Um, a serial killer can have maybe a spree killing, um, but he's still a serial killer. Okay. You're just maybe describing... Um, a particular instance within his kind of timeline or career as a serial killer. I think you're right. I think that probably makes more sense than what my brain is trying to do. Uh, but that's just me. That's what my brain does all the time. It's not a fish. It's not a salamander. So I will try to shove it into that hole. Uh, so our first little definition is mass murderers. And I'm, I'm one that falls into this trap. I before doing this kind of stuff, I didn't know there was a difference. Uh, but I, I guess I didn't know the definition. But the definition is a mass murderer kills four or more people at one location during one continuous period of time, uh, whether that's with a few minutes or a few days. Uh, but he doesn't leave that location and he continues to commit the murders. Like there's no break period. So even if Correct. okay. Just making sure I'm reading this correctly. Um, killers who murder several members of their family also fall into this uh, into the mass murder category. Didn't know that. Uh, and the example of that I have is Richard Speck. Uh, 1966. We're not going to get a whole lot into him, but he's an example I had pulled up. So do you think that definition... I And I think I got this off the one of the bureau pages. Yeah, that's a pretty good definition. Um, I think for, you know, our current climate, the, probably the most, um, the best probably example of that would be school shooters. Mm. Those are definitely defined as mass murderers. Um, and that's what we typically see now, um, versus serial killers. Um, the research that I've kind of looked into, they talked about how, you know, in the seventies, eighties, we had quite a lot of serial killers, um, and as we know now, we, we're not really seeing a lot of that, but mass murderers, that has significantly increased. Um, so it's just, it was very fascinating doing the research on that and how maybe our culture has raised um, mass murderers more so than the serial killers and we'll probably go into that a little bit later mm -hmm. they have different personality types um and 
different triggers for turning into a serial killer versus turning into a mass murderer. Hmm. I'm glad you're here for this insight because I would not have thought of that. Uh, so our next one is uh, spree killers. Uh, spree killers are sometimes referred to as rampage killers. Uh, these are murderers who commit two or are com- murder two or more victims, but at more than one location. Although these murders occur in separate locations, their spree is considered a single event because there is no cooling off period between the murders. Uh, the the defining differences between mass murders, uh, spree killers, and serial killers is the source of ongoing debate among most criminologists. While many experts agree with the general description of a spree killer, the term is often dropped and mass or serial killer is often used in its place. So that's that little blurb. Uh, and then uh, Robert Pollen is a good example of a spree killer, and he was uh, active in October 1975. Uh, he did f- well, five people in the Ottawa s- s- high school. But yeah. So what do you think about that one? That's the one that I have the most trouble with, I think, of putting in a box. Um, that's pretty good um, example. Um, all of these terms are kind of a little bit argumentative and it really at the end of the day doesn't matter it's more of a term that the media really grabs onto the FBI and prosecution they're not really ever actually using these terms for uh, you know law purposes or for investigative purposes per se um, it was never really intended to be a definitive definition for any of these um, it was more of a jumping off point or a guide for the investigators. And just over time, people kind of just grabbed onto these terms and they kind of just stuck. Um, and I think the media just uses these words to kind of get more ratings. It's sensationalized uh, events. Yes, exactly. And that the you know detectives and investigators are really not even trying to define these killers um, in the same way that the media is trying to. So... To me, and I may be completely wrong, you'll let me know. Uh, this seems to be more just for these definitions we're going over, seems to be more just for criminal investigators to understand more of the base mindset of some of these people. Uh, to where they're, I, I don't know, that's what I was getting from reading all this stuff. But like I said, this is definitely not my forte. Uh, but yeah, what do you think about that? kind of see that but I really don't think detectives are sitting in a room trying to decide what bucket that these um, perpetrators fall into. Okay. Um, it might just be used more of a training so when they go to conferences or initial college education and then training in the field they may use these terms more in a broad spectrum um, just to help them better learn but I don't think they're ever sitting around gathering evidence trying to determine, you know, what label they mm. should use. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever told me I'm wrong before, so thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, it's okay. You can just tell me I'm wrong, too, so don't worry. Jay tries well, to. I don't know 100% sure, so that was the roundabout way of saying, I don't think so, but I'm not sure. Well, thank you. Uh, like I said, I am... This is well above my depth. This is stuff I find interesting, but it is 
very confusing to me. This is like me trying to rebuild a piece of the car. My brothers could do it so much better, and it's just like I'm. I might as well be looking at alien technology. Well, I mean, if for, to make you feel a little bit better, I mean, it's confusing to everyone. The brain is so complex. We're only guessing. There is no definitive list of characteristics of a serial killer, a mass murderer, or, you know, you know, a pope. That's just so broad. Everyone has different upbringings, different traumatic events in their lives, different chemistry and DNA that there's no way that we could ever put a list that, that says, if your child does this, they're definitely going to grow up to be a killer. There's no way of ever truly knowing that. That's funny you brought that this up. This is just all everyone's best guesses. Yeah. Because all the serial killer podcasts I listen to and stuff like that, they bring up the McDonald's triad a lot, which is yes. bedwetting, animal abuse, and what's the third one? Let's see. Oh, you I got have it. that here. She's got it written and down. Obsession with fire setting. Oh, yeah. So I was two out of the three, and anybody that knows me can probably guess yes. which two and which one I did not do. And so a lot of studies after the McDonald tribe. So that came out around 1963. So we've had many, many studies since then. And it's kind of been refuted that there's no, there's not enough evidence to prove or disprove. Yes. You know, some of the serial killers they interviewed have that others don't. Mm -hmm. But what I read that I found so fascinating was that, Yes, some of them had the three signals, but if you really dive into it, what caused them to do those three things? Most of the time, it was trauma as a child, whether it was an abusive parent, yeah. maybe they were sexually abused. So it wasn't really that these were the things to look out for. It was really what was causing those things that you should be looking out for. And that was, you know children being abused as a child from very, very young ages. Isn't another really big one, like a severe head injury before like the age of 10? Yes. Frontal, frontal lobe. Yeah. But again, that's not a guarantee right. that you're going to struggle as you get older. Um, and as a result of all these studies too, and it's kind of one of the theories that maybe we've seen less serial killers over the years is we get kids into therapy a lot earlier. We're correcting these things instead of letting it continue to grow and to have these terrible thoughts within their heads mm. that they're kind of conquering and facing the traumas sooner rather than, you know, letting out their aggression and anger at their parents by killing other people. Hmm. That may be a better theory than I have. We'll get into all of my theories later. Oh, there's a lot of good you. Ones. You know which one I yes. I fall into. Yes. And I would have probably been one that was born in the seventies because I love the smell of gasoline. And I find that so strange. I used to work with a woman who said the same thing, and I hate the smell. Really? So literally, everybody yeah. on my mom's side likes it. Really? Yeah. And so there's probably like some genetic yep. gene in that side of the family that maybe can't smell 
exactly what we're smelling. So this is another big side tangent. I literally listened to a biology podcast the other day with this same to- with that topic of certain stinky smells that people yeah. like, and it's because it has, even though it smells very different than other signals, it has a chemical sim. It basically is chemically familiar. So even though gasoline and let's say a certain type of cheese smell very different, the same there's the same chemical shape. So your brain interprets them the same. So it could be something like that. You know, they they think that it's like some people like the smell of feet, like it, but or skunk. Yeah, and it's because it's not. They really like that smell. It's chemically similar to a thing that they're supposed to like, and the brain okay. gets confused. Yes. And so now that's a tangent already, but uh, our last category, the one we'll be spending the majority of the night on, is serial killers. And serial killers are, uh, uh, they murder three or more victims, but each victim is killed in a separate location or occasion. Unlike mass murders and spree killers, serial killers usually select their victims, have cooling off periods between murders, they plan their crimes very carefully, and some killers travel widely to find their victims, such as Ted Bundy and Israel Keys, but others remain in the same uh, general geog- or, you know location. Serial killers often uh, demonstrate very specific patterns and are easily identified by the police investigators. Uh, what motivates serial killers remains a mystery for most, but however, their behaviors often fit into uh, these four specific subcategories we'll get to in a minute. And then the, the I had Richard or Ronald Holmes as the classic serial killer, and he was active in '88. But what do you think about those definitions or that definition? I think it's a pretty good definition. I think the only thing I might kind of add to that is that I don't necessarily agree that serial killers are easy to identify. I think they are walking amongst us. Most of them are so good at putting a mask on, and that is what helps them not to get caught for a very long time, is they can blend in within society and be sitting right next to you on the church pew every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And they will be, you know, pillars of the community and someone who, you know, everyone loves. Um, every it's not that they all have you know the crazy eyes or they're you know socially awkward yeah most serial killers are very popular and outgoing um and are great at mirroring their peers i was gonna i that's bundy always gets credited for that that like most of his life nobody would have ever suspected and there's always that one person that comes out oh i knew they were going to be you know I knew they were going right. to... Did you? Did you really? So, the FBI's right. leading statistic right now is in the U.S. at any given moment, there are up to 50 active serial killers, which uh, in the 70s, which we're going to talk about later, the 1970s, they think there was up to 200 active in the U.S. at any given time. Yes. Uh, what, what was it? There was the Green River Killer, and there was like three serial killers on top of each other using the same areas. Yeah, and I can't remember. That was in California, I believe, but the Green River Killer is the one I know was in that group, and that's why those cops had so much trouble. They knew they had a serial killer. What they didn't know is they actually had, well, they had four killers, but they had three serial killers. One was acting as a pair. So they had four serial murderers that were 
working in the same really small area, bodies showing up pretty much every day with different yeah. MOs. And they're like, I don't blame them. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. I, you know, it's, uh, I can't remember which, what the other ones were, but the Green River Killer was the one that I can, I remember. But I mean, serial killers are one of the hardest, like we'll talk about later, I'm sure, but because they don't have any relation to the people they kill most of the time. Right. Like they just normally grab a person off the street that fits their whatever they want. And it depends on the type of serial killer. You can kind of break them into two different categories. Um, you're more intelligent where you kind of plan it out. Mm-hmm. You're methodical about it. They don't typically just snag someone off the road. They're stalking them. They're right. following them. They're learning everything they can about them to make sure that they give them the gratification that they're looking for, for the reason to murder someone. And then you can have your more, the less intelligent, the ones that are kind of triggered in a moment. And they just more bestial. Um, and those tend to be uh, more of the ones who are mentally ill, mm-hmm. schizophrenic, um, like that. Those are the ones that typically fall in that category. They're not out here planning. They're not covering their tracks. They're not cleaning up after themselves. Um, yep. They're not trying to evade capture. They're just having an episode, potentially. What was the one that uh, was killing all the people out in California because God told them to to prevent an earthquake? He had to kill so many people. Oh, I'm not sure of that name. But you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. And they caught him, and he's like, I'm not... And he, he admitted everything because in his mind, like you're saying, he was so warped, he didn't hide anything because he wasn't doing anything wrong because in his mind, God told him, like, hey, you got to kill these many people to save the rest of these people. So he, he was a superhero in his own story so he never hid anything because he's like i wouldn't you know i'm not gonna i'm doing good you know it's more community service in his head not stabby stab stab uh yeah and his name was herbert mullen mullen thank you uh one of the other serial killers that was in prison with him at the same time trained him like a parrot yeah they typically are less intelligent they tend to fall a little bit more into the socially awkward category mm-hmm. versus the kind of the other of the more intelligent serial killers yes i can't remember what serial killer was in prison with him this is emily's biggest part of the show if everybody doesn't know when emily is here she types when i have random questions she types it in and whispers the answer into my ear uh makes me look smarter um but he was in prison with another serial killer and this other serial killer was like what you were saying more of the smarter variety hated molens or Molers or whatever his name was, I already forgot again, uh, hated him so much because he would sing randomly. And so he started giving him peanuts when he was quiet and then throwing a little cup of pee at him when he wasn't. And so he trained him like a parrot. And then he got so trained, he's like, can I sing now? And he's like, go ahead. And then he'd throw him a peanut. And it was like such a weird thing. It, I, I would have paid anything to see that. See these two serial killers, one trained the other one like a bird. Uh, both really weird people. But I don't think anybody is as weird as the guy we're going to talk about tonight. That is very true. All right, you ready to finally get into the man of the hour, or hours, at this rate, we're going? Absolutely. 
All right, so I have a little blurb. We're going to talk about H.H. Holmes tonight. Uh, you guys had to hang in for a half hour for us to get to the main topic. But we felt it was very important to get kind of some of the, the definitions out there that we're going to be using. Absolutely. Not everyone is as familiar with serial killers as others. Mm-hmm. I'm not one. Uh, but we're going to talk about Herbert Webster McGucket. I think that's how you say this last name. Mudgut? Mudgucket? I don't know. It's a weird last name. There's a reason he changed his name several times. Um, but he was born May 16th, 1861. Died May 7th, 1896. Didn't quite make it. And for anybody that hasn't pulled up a picture of him, pull up a picture of him. Take, take a minute. Look at him. He, When I was listening to his life, I pictured kind of an old, white-haired, crazy-looking man. And no, he at the time was what I mean a very handsome, dapper looking gentleman. Yeah, he was a ladies man. Yeah. For sure at that time. Uh and like like Rachel said earlier, like you can't pull you can't pick out serial killers out of a crowd. He was always around like he was the life of the party a lot of times. He we were gonna talk about later, but he had debt collectors that were coming at him angry, left as his best friend. Uh he was a very smooth talker. But H.H. Uh, Holmes, better known as, you know, Harry Howard Holmes, or Dr. Harry Howard Holmes, H.H. Holmes, was America's, one of America's greatest con artist and serial killer. He's often credited with being uh, the U.S.'s first serial killer. He was active, the beginning of his activity was at the same time as Jack the Ripper in England. Uh, he had more than 50 lawsuits in Chicago alone. People wanted this man. <laughs> Not for murder, which we'll talk about later. Uh, so he was executed in 1896. Surprise, surprise. If anybody was thinking he was still alive at the start of this episode, he was born in 61. So I'm sorry to ruin the ending. He is dead. Uh, he chose a career of crime, including uh, insurance fraud, his favorite thing, right next to swindling, check forging, uh, three or four illegal marriages, murder, and... The one that got him, horse theft. Don't steal a horse in Texas. Anything I've learned in my life, it's still a hanging offense in Texas to steal a horse. Uh, Despite his confession of over 27 murders, including some people who were verified to be still alive when he confessed to their murder. uh, While he's awaiting execution, Holmes was uh, convicted and sentenced to his death uh, for only one murder. He only ever got convicted of one murder, and that was his henchman, which will have a big part of the story later, Benjamin. And we're going to say his last name is Pretzel, because I don't know how to pronounce it, and Pretzel's nice. Uh, it is he, you know, and he, it is believed he killed most of Pretzel's family. Uh, but yeah, we'll get to that later. So, what do you have to say, Rachel, about the introduction of this swaggered gentleman, the, the fake millionaire? I mean, the introduction doesn't even remotely give him justice. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. Definitely. I mean, he was definitely outside of his era, for sure. He, He thought outside of the box. He, if you take away the evilness of what he'd done, he was very, very smart. 
and a great businessman in a sense of just continuing to rob Peter to pay Paul in a sense of, you know, get more money to get more money. Mm -hmm. He is the... He just unfortunately did it in some... Really bad ways. Yes. He's the living embodiment of fake it till you make it. Oh, absolutely. If he would have never stole that horse, I don't think we'd know anything about him. I think they were starting to catch on to him. But at that time, you could just pack your bags and move two states away. Mm-hmm. And nobody and would no know. going to know who you are. And you just start all over again. Mm-hmm. So, one thing that is very, very lacking in most coverage of H.H. H. Holmes is his early life. And I, I don't know about your research. Uh, me and Rachel have not conferred our researches yet because that's how I like to do it. So it's a surprise for both of us. But there is a, about his childhood before the age of 16. There's not a lot. He has two older. He has an older brother, older sister, younger brother, younger sister. He's a middle child of five. Um, as far as most people are concerned, he had a normal life with normal level parents nothing weird there is a little bit there is a couple there's a little bit of thing where people claim that he was beaten uh ruthlessly by his father and he tortured animals but most w- witnesses of the time said that you know he no they he actually had a decent relationship with his dad uh he had a you know he was had a loving mother he had good relationship with his brothers and sisters so i don't know that's there's really not a lot on there, at least what I found. What do you have on that, Rachel? I'm hoping you have something a little. Yeah, so I have a little bit more, not too much. Um, you know, we do have to kind of take into consideration how much are what we are reading today is true, how much was kind of sensationalized mm-hmm. after everything was found out. It's very hard to track down records, and of course, we can't just go interview people who knew him now. But I did read that, you know, he was the middle child. His father was a postmaster, um, and it was rumored that he was an alcoholic and was abusive. But again, how do we know that that's true at this point? You yeah. Know, more than, well, more than 100 years later. Oh, my gosh. I mean, um, we're coming. It was rumored. It was rumored that he was a giant mommy's boy mm-hmm. um, and that his mom was very, very religious. So that could potentially have played a factor into it, depending on if she was a positive, healthy religious type or more of the brick and Bible. Um, yeah. It's like, you got to do it this way and I'll get the ruler out type. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Um, but it was, and I also read that again. We got to take it with a grain of salt, but some speculate that he may have killed one of his childhood friends. Um, and he, I highly doubt that that's true. I know. I read that story, and it just seems yeah. to be. I will. I will bet two hundred dollars that one newspaper made up that entire part of the story, just like you were saying for the for the sensationalization. This was, he was an evil little boy. And right. Like, how do we know in the, you know, the 1860s and the 1890s and all this stuff 
that the newspaper that we're reading now was like the onion of their time. Right. It's not remotely true. Mm -hmm. And we're taking it as facts now. So that was one of the stories I highly, highly doubt. Um, but it was still kind of interesting to read. There's that little quote that's like, after they asked Holmes, what, did, what, you know, how do you feel about your friend dying? And he's like, I'm better off alone. He was like six. Yeah. I, he did not say that. He, and even if he did say that, he's a child. Maybe he just really was tired of hanging out with the friend. <laughs> You know, it's only for it's annoying. And, yeah. You know, at that age, it's hard to grasp death that they're never coming back to the six year old. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, besides those, do you have anything else really? It's, it seems really sparse. Yeah, there's not much about his childhood. Really, there's not a lot up until he starts medical school. Yeah. I mean, like you were saying, it's it's the tides of time. This is 1861 to, you know, is when he was born. He is, I mean, that is, oh my, what are we, what are we at now? 170 years ago? Yeah, and just to kind of put that into perspective, like, you know, you got to remember, there's no phones. There's not even like the telegraph yet. Um, you know, it's literally snail mail. Like if you were wanting to mail a letter, it's being delivered by horse and buggy or a train, or if you're sending it overseas, it's going on a ship. Um, and then, you know, they didn't have electricity up until his adulthood. And that was, you know, gaslight. <laughs> it wasn't even what we consider electricity. Uh, so it's definitely a different time then. Yeah. It's, it's impossible for us to imagine now. Absolutely. It's more... I know a lot of people in my area know about the Amish country. It's more primitive than that because they still go to Walmart. Yeah. But so the next thing I have is at age 16, Holmes graduated from the Phillips Exeter Academy and took the teaching and took a teaching job at Gillimaton. Oh, my gosh. All these all these names are so old and uh, nearby Alton. Uh, so he worked there at age 16. He started being a teacher. Uh, so like that, like you were saying, that's a test to his level of intelligence. Uh, nobody growing up seems to ever dispute that Holmes was often the smartest person in the room. I mean, he couldn't have done what he did if he was not right above average intelligence. Naturally, very, very intelligent. Yes. Um, but then at age eighteen, Holmes enrolled into the University of Vermont. Uh, and then what did he enroll in? I'm looking for that right now, but I'm, I'm at a loss. And then, um, I'm not quite sure what he enrolled in there, but he eventually transferred to Michigan, to the University of Michigan's uh, medical school. Right. So yeah, that's, that's one. I couldn't find what he was doing at Vermont. Uh, so, but yeah. I like, think he was, I think he started out in medical school there okay. as well. Okay. That'd, um, that'd follow. I didn't see why he transferred. I don't know if maybe people got a little suspicious of him. Um, but I, I do know that he wasn't the most intelligent in medical school. Mm -hmm. His intelligence was, I guess, didn't equate quite well to the medical school aspect, the academics. He was maybe more intelligent uh, in maybe other areas. Uh, 
I know it said that he barely graduated mm. medical school. He was, I bet you he got kicked out of Vermont. You have a lovely skeleton. Yes. Uh, he may have got caught doing things he shouldn't have been doing. Yeah. So the University of Michigan, uh, his friend, which I'm trying to find his friend's name. Uh, I can't find, but this is, I'm trying to find his friend. Where is this at? Anyways, this is his first big scam is in the University of Michigan. Um, and then, so you see how much of this I get right. But his, him and his friend get this idea. I know it kind of goes back and forth of who came up with this idea. Uh, but I'm going to put my money that was Holmes. Uh, basically, at this time, you could take out insurance policies on anybody. Or, you know, you didn't have to have a relation to him. Uh, so him and his friend each took out an insurance policy on each other because they had access to all these cadavers. So the plan was to fake each other's death and just change their name and get the money. But how does that go? Um, so I actually think he had a scam a little before Oh, this. did he? Oh, I'm bad. I don't know if you necessarily call it a, a scam or maybe he, he just found a loophole. But he actually started by finding cadavers for the medical school. Oh, so this. going out and digging up the bodies. And then it just slowly progressed. I think after he realized that he could so easily get cadavers, he realized that he could get the bodies to then do these insurance scans. Yeah. And then, so at this time, science, or medical science was scary to the average person. Uh, the thought of them desecrating bodies, how they viewed it for doing... Uh, lab autopsies and stuff like that to understand medicine better like this was just on the age of medical science changing like there was a guy that was like you know oh you know we're gonna use leeches to change your humors a couple weeks ago and now that now a guy's saying no that's stupid we're gonna use snakes and now they're actually using what we would consider is some semblance of modern medical practices like literally, it, we it's it's so weird to me. This is just on that hump. So the medical field yeah. needed all these bodies to start. Well, I'm going to say playing with. They weren't playing, but to start understanding and learning better. The fresher, the better. Obviously, you know. But yeah, they really wanted to see what these diseases did to bodies, so they knew how to combat. You know, combat them. You know, it's now you know ammonia attacks the lungs. You give them something to treat the lungs. And there was just not nearly enough of these cadavers to go around for the medical schools. So mm -hmm. there was a huge shortage. So they were offering, you know, at the time, pretty good money, depending on the state of the body. You could get anywhere between 20 and $50 per cadaver body. You know, at that time, when tuition for the school per year was only $100 a year, a couple, that's pretty good money. A couple bodies is a... Uh... Will pay for your tuition, your books, and your stay. Right. Yeah. And then another thing is, but that's not a, a thing that I would classify for him being a monster because there's a lot of people doing this. And oh, yes, no. And I don't, that, you know, I want to make sure. Yeah, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. That's just what kind of started the ball rolling. Yes. On the evilness. I don't think he necessarily started out pure evil. 
I think it just slowly progressed over time. He realized more and more that he could do this and noticed that he didn't care <laughs> that he was doing these yeah. things. Uh, I, yeah, I agree with you. But yeah, it's just like I, people don't know that, that, that like these body diggers, that was everybody doing that. Doctors would oh, literally pay like 10 and 12 year olds to go dig up a body that they were like, oh, Miss Johnson died yesterday. She had a weird thing on her leg. I really want to know about here, kids, here's $10. Go dig up Miss Johnson tonight. Yeah, grave robbing wasn't just taking things on the body. They were taking the bodies. Yeah, and I think, I can't remember which states, and it's weird, in the United States at that time, some states weren't prosecuting. They just made you put it back if they caught you. And because it's like they know they need it, like they know medicine, the medical science needs it, but they know if they let people do it, that the public is not going to be happy about people digging up their, you know, grandma that just died yesterday. Well, I mean, even in 2022, we're still having an equivalent issue with, you know, bodies being donated to science. There's some large companies who have found the gray area of that. And they're still doing something similar, taking bodies that they have misled the living to sign papers. I know which one you're and talking about. And now they're about. using their bodies for tourists and for spectators to view versus actually using them for legitimate medical schools. So, I mean, here we are, you know, well over 150 years later, and we're still doing essentially the same thing just not digging them out of the grave we found the legal loophole to I'm, sign papers i'm not laughing there was a one a couple years ago and more than a couple probably 2016 i don't know if you've ever seen this but a guy's mother donated her body to science mm -hmm. and she was being used as a shuttle crass test dummy and pictures leaked it was a weird thing pictures leaked yes and some guy recognized his mom and mm -hmm. flipped out which he should have because she donated it for something's really specific i can't remember what it was for and the thing is is like if you again there's a lot of legitimate companies that are doing it the right way they're not in it for the money mm -hmm. but there are others who go to nursing homes and or to sick people in the hospital, and they offer them this, you know, money to donate their body to science. Just sign the paperwork. They don't read it, mm -hmm. and they don't realize that you're going to be launched into the upper atmosphere. Fractions of their body back to bury, and that they can do pretty much anything as long as there's a scientific theory paperwork put on it. So that case, if I remember correctly. It was for a specific disease she was suffering from. Oh. So they believed that organization was using it to study that disease. Okay. And that disease did not involve crashing a rocket back into Nevada. Uh, and so they were not expecting to get a body back in that case. Like, it was literally yeah. like a one in a million chance that, like, the photos leaked. Like, one of the texts was like, oh, this is crazy. Look, they crashed these old ladies into the desert. And then, like, some guy was like, that's my mom. And had the appropriate reaction, in my mind, of not being very happy that your mom was being used as a crash test dummy. Just use pigs. Just, it's okay. 
just use a pig. Right. They're about the same. But so then, yeah, so he did that. But then him and his friend did this insurance scheme. And I've heard this two different ways. So I want to know what way you heard it too, or what way you came to the conclusion. said which one started the scam the scam um but they definitely started making some really good money that way um and he's probably why we have certain stats now to take out life insurance policies on Mm -hmm. um amongst probably a lot of other pretty cruel people over the years um but, yeah, that, that started for him in medical school, and he started faking, essentially, people's deaths and making really good money, yeah. So, here's the thing with the friend, is that some people claim that that was his first true murder, if you don't believe he killed his little friend when he was six. Be- because, yeah, like we're saying, like a lot of this has been sensationalized, and it's over 170 years ago. But his friend just kind of dropped off the map that he was doing this scam with. And so some people was like, well, Holmes just probably got tired of digging up bodies. And was like, well, I'm just just really going to kill him this time. But I don't know. That does kind of fit, to me, his MO a little later in life of it's just easier sometimes just to get rid of him. But I don't know. What do you think of that? Well, I think he also learned that he can kind of double dip in his scams. Mm-hmm. And if he actually kills them, he can get the insurance policy and then also donate the bodies to the medical schools. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of getting double pay for each person that he starts to kill. So, um, and if we go along, you'll start to see his, he starts, uh, he starts um, eliminating people. Pretty rapid. Oh, it gets very, very. Short it gets time. fast. I know we're kind of going slow I was right very now. Very shocked at if you actually look at like the time frame from the beginning of construction for the castle and his capture it was a very, very short time frame. Just a couple of years, I, right? You know, you yeah, yes. You would expect, you know, just hearing what all he did. Oh, he he did this over the course of five, ten years. No, it was within like maybe two to three years that he was doing this. Uh, no, it took and him. He just yeah. It took him a year to build the murder castle, but then after that, it was like you're saying. It was just like, I think pretty much every night. It almost seems like in some of these cases, he was like, you could just hear well, Jaws music. To be, if you believe the amount that's kind of speculated that he killed. You would have to be doing it at least once every few days. You're right. I think he was, at least. Uh, Because they, I mean, they suspect anywhere between 100 to 200 mm -hmm. just in the murder castle alone. We're going to talk about it later, but one of the weirdest things, I'm not sure if it's 100% true or not. I want to believe it's true. It's one of those things. Not whether I want to believe it's true because it's horrible, but one of the things I, I don't know, the room of shoes he had. Because it was just like, he had all these women's clothes and everything, but literally, it's claimed that he had an empty room of just shoes. Because it was like, they never fit 
Pretzel's wife's feet. And Pretzel was the one taking home all these clothes to his wife and his daughter, and you know, and they just never fit. So they're just like, I don't know what to do with these things. But I don't know. Oh, Pretzel, you'll be missed. But do you want to talk much about Claire, his first marriage, or anything like that before we get to where he's at, Chicago? Um, honestly, she's kind of just a breeze through. That's what I was. She... She got out at the right time. Um, he was just doing kind of low-level criminal schemes at this point, um, digging up bodies, some insurance, you know, scams, nothing too major. Um, and then he essentially decides to leave her, and I think it's probably the best thing in that could have happened to happened. her. Yeah. Yes. She is pretty much his only lover that survives as far as i yes. think i think she's but the I only one i wouldn't even and i want to point out i don't think he loved her no he lover i think lover right. With, yes. yeah i don't think he loves anybody no nobody but himself yeah uh but yeah so she got out so yeah he gets married claire uh doesn't she? They do end up having a child. I was going to say she gets pregnant. That kind of puts him off, and he just sends her away to live with her mom. And then he goes in eighteen eighty six to the windy city, Chicago, and he builds an amazing thing. And I'll give you the address. And it's funny what you said about his dad being a postmaster, because that's what the murder castle turned into. Yes. If you would like to visit it, there is currently a post office there. It is on the corner. It's on the corner of South Wallace Avenue in West Thirty or Sixty Third Street in Eaglewood. There is a creek that runs about two hundred fifty yards behind. There's a school past that I used to park at and get in that creek for work. See another great connection to mm-hmm. him. Oh yeah. Oh, great connection. Yes. I'm happy I was so close to the murder castle, but. So, yeah, he gets in, and what's special about Chicago at this time, Rachel? So, they had just won a bid to be the host for the World Fair. And this was the Gilded Age. Chicago's population and economy was absolutely booming. It was the time to be in Chicago. And they won the World Fair. the World Fair location because they were celebrating um, the anniversary of actually the country. Uh, So that was great. And I think by Chicago having the World Fair, I think it opened up a great opportunity for homes to have a lot more victims that people probably aren't going to miss for a significant amount of time. So that is something I want to talk about before we get into it, because that's something I do understand. Uh, at this point, the country was in the throes of change. We were this. Yes. This is still the Indian Wars going on out west, but we are getting so much better at agriculture. The number of farmers is not needed. So you have all these people in these rural areas around all of America that spread out that are no longer needed. They don't have work. They don't have income. So a lot of times, members of their family would go to the big cities. And at the time, 
it still is, but at the time, Chicago is the center of the Midwest. It is where thousands of men and hundreds of women poured into every day looking for work. Uh, and like you said, these are people that their families are halfway expecting to never hear from them again. Because they know that it's risky to go to Chicago, and they know it's risky to you know, leave home in these looking for work. And it's crazy. Like Everybody had the idea, like, well, we got to go to Chicago and work because we don't have work here. The problem is, is everybody had the idea. And there was literally hundreds, if not thousands of people standing in line to maybe get work. Like we're going to talk about H.H. Holmes' use of day laborers because that was his favorite thing. Uh, and of course, you know, you couldn't just call home and say, hey, I made it, mm-hmm. you know, or go and get online reservations at a local hotel. You're getting accommodations when you get off, you know, whatever transportation you got to Chicago in. Um, you're not really getting reservations ahead of time. Yes. You're just hoping that out of the kindness of someone's heart, when you get there, they're going to give you directions or let you stay with them. It was, you know, something totally different than what we're used to. So when Holmes gets to Chicago, there is this elderly woman whose husband is a pharmacist. And... He is upstairs dying of cancer when Holmes gets there. And Holmes is like, well, I'm a pharmacist. And I can help you run the business while your husband is sick. And there's there's so many mixed reports. Like you were saying earlier, like some people were like, Holmes is so excited, like weirdly excited that he had cancer and he was dying so he could watch him die. I'm like, I don't think so. I think he more saw an in for immediate money with no work. Yeah, from what I've read that he he wasn't sadistic early on. Early, yeah. Uh, he wasn't we get to the safe. Great, I, I said early on. <laughs> right. Like, he grew as time yeah. went on. Um, I think it seriously started out for him as just a means to money. Yeah. And I think, and I think this is probably a case for a lot of serial killers or killers in general is you slowly realize the gratification and satisfaction that you're getting from killing. You may start out killing to get money, but then you slowly start realizing, oh, well, I can also get this from it. Or, ooh, like, you know, before or even after I kill women, I can also get some other Mm -hmm. satisfying things from them. He's one of the he's one of the few that is both has both a, a process and product killer. Uh, like later on, you get more of the process where he starts enjoying killing people, or whatever you want to call his emotion towards it. I don't know if he felt true enjoyment, uh, more like a cat playing with a mouse kind of deal. I think it was more of satisfying in the sense that I am more powerful yes. than you. And I can get away with this. And I created this trinket that helped me kill you mm. or helped me dispose of your body. I think he enjoyed all the other things that came with it more than the actual killing process. Mm-hmm. But then he also did the product killing, which the product would be the money or the space mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. uh, when we talked about uh, many later, 
you know, that was all for land in Texas. Like, he didn't, he wasn't, he didn't care for that woman one bit, as in wanting to kill her for satisfaction. He hated that woman. He just wanted the land that she held in Texas. Yes, he saw something out of everyone. Yep. He, every person that came into his life, he knew he could get a specific thing from them. And he was always thinking one step ahead, like the next step mm-hmm. in his game. And that was, I think, how he picked his women that he allowed into his life, not just staying at his mm-hmm. kind of hotel. But so he gets to, he gets in this pharmacy this woman thinks H.H. Holmes is a godsend. Little does she know. Uh, but so he kind of hangs out with her for a while. He helps her run the business. Husband finally dies. Holmes then kind of starts taking over. The woman starts threatening to sue him and everything. And then she goes and lives with her sister in California. And... I do not think she went and lived with her sister. Uh, there was one. Re- there was one newspaper article I read that was like uh, that. That one repeat customer literally witnessed them having an argument about it, of like she wanting Holmes out, and Holmes is like, "No, like the business will fail without me. I, you know, I put in so much to this, and he hadn't." And then the like whatever the week later, this one customer was like, "Well, where's X?" Like, oh, she went to hang out with her sister for a while, you know, relaxed. You know, her husband just died and whatever. And then, like, a couple weeks later, is she coming back anytime? And he's like, no, she liked it so much out there that she decided to stay. Like, no, I think she's in a bag in the basement. Yeah, I don't believe for a second she went to California. Right. I would love to be able to track that down to prove that theory. Try to find any type of death records out of the state of California for her or try to find, I don't know, some relatives that are still alive and see what's the family say about that. So so another thing about this time is death records were not as, as kept as, you know, unless you were a murderer or your family called a doctor and stuff, a lot, like they could bury you. Like that would be it. A lot of times death records were just kept with the family on their family Bible or, family letter of like births and deaths joe died um, here no, right you couldn't just go down to the courthouse mm-hmm. and get records like we can now um that's why it's a little hard to track down the truth of what happened to her um just because you know you can't just log on to a website somewhere and search her name um, it's probably just in some family heirloom somewhere that you know we never heard from you know our great aunt after her husband died. Oh, you how know, strange. It's like a family kept secret. <laughs> and then, so the the important thing is that this lovely pharmacy that was now in possession of H.H. H. Holmes stood across from a giant empty lot. And like you said, he looked at this, he looked at everything with potential profit. There, people, land, real estate, didn't matter. He had always that mindset of like what can i do with this so he buys this piece of land and i use you know money from the pharmacy and stuff and starts building this giant castle hotel and it's over a year in construction which is very very fast for what uh he did this uh what he built 
And one thing that he's really known for is he paid almost nobody ever. Uh, so at this time, like I said, there was all these day laborers, all these poor farm people that were coming out of the, you know, all over the country to work. And he would let them work for a day, two, three. He would never let anybody work more than a week. And at the end of the week, he'd be like, okay, you did a horrible job. Guess what? No paycheck. And then they just had to leave. They just had to suck it up and go. And uh, do you, I have a number, but I don't know what number you have of how many employees he had to build this thing. It was a very, very large number. Um, what I read is it was more than 500 over the course of the construction. That's, right. that's the number I got, too. Uh, that's about what it took to build a skyscraper at the time. Yeah. Um, he was very, very secretive. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, obviously, if your intentions aren't the greatest, you're probably going to be very secretive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it... I mean, for 500 workers over the course of a very short construction, I mean, it was like a revolving door. Yes. Coming out of it. And like you said, he drew his own blueprints. And what people kind of thought was weird about that is literally like three doors down, there was a guy that did that professionally that was kind of friends with Holmes. And they're like, why don't you use Tom? You know, Tom does this. He draws the big buildings down. And, you know, he draws all the blueprints for all the big buildings. And they're like, ah, no, no, I just want to draw my own. This is my project. Yeah, he wanted to draw his own. But the guy that was building the doorway in the hallway didn't know anything about the guy building the hallway. And Right. They didn't have yeah, the whole nobody when they were working. They were just working on the room that they were working on. And then, sorry, we're mm-hmm. getting some new people. And nobody knew more than, I read one little statistic, nobody knew more than what was 10 feet around their workstation. So, like you're saying, nobody could see, because everybody asked, like, how did nobody realize that he had a gas pipe going into every room, and he had the big control center for all the gas pipes in his bedroom? What well, nobody knew that. Nobody's seen that, you know? Well, and gas lighting and everything was still very, very new. Yeah. So, and keep in mind, this is the first serial killer in America. They don't know to be watching out for these signs. Mm-hmm. They don't know to be watching out for someone who's probably going to go around and kill a bunch of people. These people are pretty innocent-minded in that sense. Like, they have not seen that their entire lives like we have. And, and uh, they don't they don't know the pure evil in people quite mm-hmm. yet. And then another thing with that statement is that 99% of people work on this are from no-name Midwest USA. You know, they've never right. built just, a building. They're there just to make money. They're yeah. keeping their head down, they're making their money, and they're going to go on with their lives. Mm-hmm. They're not there to find some, you know, horrible scheme that's going on. They don't and they don't care either. Even if they knew, most they of don't care. Cared, they, they don't want to get involved. For a few extra cents to keep their mouth shut. Yeah. And they would have gone. They, they wouldn't have cared at all. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's not worth their time. The, no, it's not. So he completes the murder castle. And as he's getting set up, he has businesses downstairs. And I correct me if I'm wrong. I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head. Businesses downstairs. First floor up past that. It, so the second floor is the really 
or no, the, the normal rooms and the third floor, the really scary rooms. Yeah. And there was, um, I think on the second floor was also like his office. Yeah. Um, so I think both floors had rooms that were equipped to eliminate the guest. How? Um, and they had, it was very similar to the Winchester house. If you think about that, she's that another crazy had, lady. Yes. Love her. But they had, um, you know, staircases that led nowhere doors that opened to nothing. And it was suspected that it was meant to kind of confuse guests. So that maybe oh, it they definitely did. One, couldn't find their way out or maybe not find what he doesn't want them to find. Um, he basically led them to their room, said, here's your room, and don't go anywhere else, I guess. So, and then his safe was on the third floor. Yeah. So how I read it is that if you were on the second floor, you had a 95% chance of not being murdered. If you were on the third floor, you had a 95% chance of being murdered. Because... The third floor is, so this is the craziest thing. And we're not making light of this. This is just blows my mind, though. Is it had greased chutes from the third floor to the crematorium he built in the basement. But it wasn't a crematorium. It was for burning broken glass, is what he said it was and for. And that wasn't the only thing he kept in the basement, either. Oh, no. He had some other lovely things down there. The basement is scary. But, so... He never had to carry a body down the stairs. Uh, he literally just threw him down the chute if he wanted you know, to get him to the basement. Well, people interviewed after the fact said that they kept seeing women going into this hotel, but they never saw women leaving. Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's because they threw the, the chute. slides and chutes um, to the basement, and then they were leaving in different means, mm-hmm. either completely dissolved or in boxes depending on what he was doing with them mm-hmm. then there was like yeah uh he employed he always employed very attractive women he yes. enjoyed very attractive women or whatever emotion you want to put to him uh yes but they would say like you know it's always so weird the boss never cares when a woman skips out on her bill like, he never got mad when these ladies would just kind of disappear and not yes. pay. Yeah, he didn't get mad. They're in the basement in a in a pot of acid or in the crematorium. Uh, yeah. Or in the safe. Oh, gosh, if you ended up in the safe. Uh, but it was in that every room had a gas system that he was claiming was for lantern. He was, lanterns he was going to install later on. It wasn't for that. Uh, that he had in his personal bedroom with all these knobs he could control. And a safety feature he had is all of the hotel doors locked from the outside, and he would lock them all at a certain hour. And all these people were like, oh, that makes sense, because these are all, like, like you were saying, these are all farm people that don't know evil. Like, they just come here, and they're like, oh, okay, sure, that way nobody can get into me. Like, in here. Like, they can't kick the door in because it opens from the outside. Like, yeah. They can't kick the door in. Nobody's kicking the door in. You're going to be trying to kick it out. Uh, 
And, and also a lot of the rooms were windowless and completely soundproof. Oh, yeah. So there was literally no way out once <laughs> they made it into these rooms. No one was going to hear them. No. No one was coming for them. And his favorite mode was chloroform. He would literally pour chloroform down their pipe after he opened it. And so you would, most of the time, you know, die choking to death quietly. Right. And, you know, the reason why he probably chose, you know, the gas and the chloroform was because he didn't want any damage to the bodies Mm -hmm. because he was selling them. So he wants them in pristine condition. So he's not going to go bludgeon their head because what medical school is going to take a bludgeon skull? Right. Did you find a number of how many skeletons he sold? In this time period? No, but I can only imagine if you're adding up all the ones he dug up and also all the ones he's killed, it would have to be well into three, four hundred. Like, so I was trying to, I was, I, I seen a number around 70, but that was once they could confirm that he sold the institutes in this time, in this time period for this little short burst, because he would sell three, four, five, or six to one, one college one doctor's office one whatever mm-hmm. and then they start asking questions so he'd move on to the next one and then you know he'd yeah. sell three four five six seven really quick and then you move on to the next one do you know though uh, we'll save it for a bit but one of these skeletons is still on display yes do you know who which one I it is for where i know i don't but i know it still exists it's probably it's one of his saddest most crazy murders and she is credited to having a beautiful skeleton. My joke from earlier. And, you know, he wasn't just selling the skulls or the bones. He was selling complete, you know, displayable skeletons. Mm-hmm. Like he would find in a Articulated. His, yep. Yes, his partner. Um, Pretzel. Actually, yes, he did that prior to meeting Holmes. And I think that's why Holmes maybe took a liking to him because he saw that he had this skill that he did not have himself and he could assemble completely strip the body of all flesh Mm -hmm. and meat and everything and bleach the bones and then assemble them. And, you know, a cadaver was going between 20 and 50, but a well-assembled complete skeleton was going for two, $300. So it was definitely an, a large increase in profit mm-hmm. by bringing him in with that particular skill set. So, especially about pretzel is that I kind of left it out earlier. It's like we were saying there was 500 employees in the, the building of this castle. Not one made it more than five days except one man. And that was yes. pretzel. Yep. And he loved pretzel. And I think why he did, well, not love, like not the real term of love. He seen, like you were saying, a tool. A very valuable tool. Value. Yes. yes, because he was dumb. From every report I've ever read, he was n- he would not ask questions. Not because he didn't want to know the answers, because he w- did not think far enough to have a question to ask. He was. Ca- I don't. I didn't particularly take him for being dumb by just listening to the story. I just took it as he didn't care. To you ask think the that? Questions. Not that he wasn't smart enough. So me and you will have different opinions at the end of this story, which is awesome. Okay. Because I don't think he knew about 90% of what was going on. Well, you'd have to know by how many... I think he had an IQ of like 50. 
And he's just, oh, boss man has got another body for me to clean. She looks very familiar. I just maybe need to interpret it more no. as I, I don't care what you do. You're paying me. And I also don't have a huge conscience either. See, I, I take it the other way. Because Pretzel had a very good relationship with his kids. Uh, his kids said he was a great father. Um, his daughter was the one that spoke out about it like years after. Uh, saying that, you know... But I'm, I think BTK killer He did have said the same he, thing. he did have a good relationship so with his kids. being a great father does but, not mean that you're not, you know, you're not also dumb. I think she's the evil. one that kind of s- described him as slow, too. Uh, or not slow. I don't know what she used. She used some 1800s wording. Simple-minded. Simple-minded. But, That's a good way of saying someone ain't married. There you go. Oh, what's the other one? Bless your bless your heart straight to heaven or something like that when you, you're mad at somebody. Yeah, in my family we say, God love you. Oh, there you go. But so, or yeah, that's... short of a happy meal. Like, you just ain't got it all there. <laughs> so that's interesting. We think differently of pretzel. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he starts... Women start disappearing. And he gets the police out to his place a lot and because they were like well she was hanging here and he's like yeah it's just it's so sad how many women disappear in this city and stuff and the cops would come in and they believed him and they were like they were his friend and because this wasn't just happening at right. the murder castle it was happening all Ch- over chicago is a bad area it still it is was a major issue because it was having such an economic boom and everyone was coming there well what comes with people coming also people who don't have the best intentions mm-hmm. um and also people were just up and leaving too because maybe they just didn't enjoy it they, well you can't really let people know you can't text them or call right them. you could just disappear at this time you could walk out yes. your front door and nobody would know anything right it wasn't something uncommon only happening there and they were only suspicious of him that wasn't the case. Again, this isn't a normal thing to be killing tons of people. Mm-hmm. They're not thinking that. And I don't think they were ever suspicious of him. It was really, to me, it came off more of, this is just, we know she was staying here last. Do you know anything? And he'd be like, nope, it just happens. And they'd be like, okay, Holmes, we'll see you later. Right. You know, you got an awful lot of women's clothes in the hallway, but it's okay. Uh, because there was one cop that claims that at the end, that he was literally stepping over piles of women's clothes in the third floor. Uh, which I could see Holmes getting lazy towards the end, because he's getting bored. Because he gets bored fast. He does. He does. Uh, um, it takes a lot to keep his mind stimulated. And I think that he was just bored because he was doing the same task over and over he wasn't inventing new contraptions. He wasn't finding new ways to murder the people. Um, he got bored very quickly. And the second that the World Fair ended and people kind of dispersed from the city, he was pretty much done with the city. There was nothing else coming in to keep keep him going. So I'm looking... So another thing we haven't really covered yet... He was the flim flam man. 
He had all of these things he would build that didn't work, but he would make them seem like they worked. My favorite one is that he built the water into oil machine. And this thing was like the size of like a bread box. Wasn't super big, wasn't super small. You'd pour a cup of water into one end and a cup of oil would come out the other. And he had an investment group come in with their inventors. Their inventors pulled it apart. They couldn't understand how it worked, but they couldn't find an oil reservoir. So as far as they knew that it worked, it actually worked. Because like, I can't find anywhere that oil is hidden. And he actually hid the oil. So, you know, don't mean to blow anybody's bubble here. It didn't, it wasn't real. Uh, he would store the oil in the gold leaf plating on the outside. It was very decorative. And there was a slight little bubble. And he would hide all the oil and the whole thing around it. It was, it was almost like he actually built it. It was so crazily built to not, like, people don't get that. Other inventors literally took this device in their hands, pulled it apart, where it couldn't figure out how he was lying. And so this idea sold for $10,000 at this time. And we looked it up. Uh, the inflation calculator only goes back to, like, 1912. But it had been, like, almost a million dollars in 1912. Uh, yeah. So probably a million and a half in the eight, you know, eighteen eighties, I think, or the eighteen nineties we're in right now. So he always seemed flim flam was number one, murder was number two. Like he enjoyed the. To me, it seems like he enjoyed more the act of the con. He always had a con going. He had three or four of them going at once. Yes, and kind of back to the childhood that I completely forgot to mention, you know, people reported that even as a child, he loved tinkering with things and building things. So he's enjoyed that aspect all the way back to childhood. And I think that's something that he has truly loved. And he just, you know, as an adult, he took that side of his brain and made it, you know, scams and schemes and, ways to make money versus actually inventing things that are legitimate and could be used by the population. And he could have, I mean, you know, he could have done so much more. Like this is the perfect example of he could have done anything. He really could have. Yeah. He had the charm. He had the mind. He could have been one of the greatest inventors of all time if he wanted to. But he more enjoyed, I think, the the thrill of pulling it pulling the wool over somebody's eyes rather than actually right. feel powerful smart and better than other people. Yeah. I'm trying to find so there was another Holmes also like we we've said oh, you can't tell at home I'm moving my chair slightly. Uh he oh I'm hitting all kinds of stuff. That's what happens when you get over an hour into an episode is I get fidgety. Um So, he was also a medical kind of quack. Like, for he did all these weird medical examinations, performed a lot of abortions. Uh, But there was one other doctor in the area that was doing the same thing. And he had Pretzel go over to this other doctor. So, this other doctor had this big syringe that he claimed was pretty much the miracle cure for everything from cancer to whatever. And I don't know if Holmes actually believed this guy had the miracle cure or not, or he knew he was another flim flam man. 
Either way, though, he sends Pretzel over there, and a man that I believe is not very bright, because uh, I've named him Pretzel in my head. Um, it has no medical training, like, as in medical, like, curing diseases. We've talked about he's very good at articulating skeletons and stuff like that, but... So he was actually a mechanic yeah. at the local medical school, and that's where Holmes found him. So he was originally selling cadavers to that medical school, and I think Pretzel was helping him with that. Okay. And I thought he he brought him in on helping build um, the castle since he was a mechanic as well. Okay. So he sends him over to this other guy. And yes. I'm trying to think of this other doctor's name. It's more the secretary. I want to think of her name because she becomes important later. And I don't have it in my notes, so I don't know. Do you know his secretary's name? Do you know the story I'm telling? I don't know it. So. Okay. So this is the lady that ends up in the vault. Do you know her name? Okay. I do not know her name. No, but I know her. Okay. Definitely know her. So yeah. he he goes over there. Uh, so once again, Pretzel has no medical, as in medical training, as in this type of medicine. As in, you know, he gets this big syringe. He says he's got cancer. Uh, Pretzel does. You know, he's got three months to live. So this other doctor is like, okay, you know, I can cure that. And he pulls out this giant syringe, and it's got a blue liquid in the bottom, a gold liquid in the middle, and a like red liquid on top. Uh, Pretzel described it as being like a barbershop pole. The liquids would not mix. And he injects it into Pretzel's body. And I don't know what Holmes was expecting Pretzel to get from this encounter, because he just came back, there's a blue liquid, a gold liquid, and a red liquid. They would not mix. So Holmes starts injecting pretzel with gold. Because he's like, that's what the middle, that's what the middle liquid is. It's liquid flake gold. It what? It's like, what are you doing? You just want to torture pretzel more. Uh, but the one thing pretzel did do was say, this. hey, this other doctor, his secretary, gorgeous. Uh, most beautiful woman I've ever seen in my life. So Holmes starts writing her love letters. Uh, or first, he writes letters like, "Hey, uh, my associate was there a couple weeks ago. Uh, I know you're a very good secretary, and we need you here at our facility. I will currently offer you double your current salary, whatever." And so, of course, you know you're jumping on that. If anybody ever offers me double my salary, I'm gone. Uh, that's a big that's a big number. Uh, so then her and Holmes get into a relationship. This is like, I think, his third illegitimate marriage-ish thing because he never divorced his first wife. So all of his... They never got married. But he, this is the lady that he had her handwrite all the invitations to her family for their wedding. So every important person, and here's how, like we talked about how far ahead he thinks. Every important person in her family, handwrite the address, handwrite the letter. And so she thinks they're getting married. Well, Holmes is in his office one night and is like, hey, right next door is this giant safe. I guess we really haven't touched on that yet. There's a giant heavy duty safe that's built into the mansion that Holmes kind of stole. He never paid for it. And they couldn't get it back. It would literally cost more damage to the building for the company that installed the safe than it would be to remove it. So they're just like... Yeah, it's like a giant built-in wall safe. It's like what you'd see at a bank. Yes. Uh, 
like literally a room. It's a it's a it's an armor plated room. Right, not just like you know a gun safe right. or a fireproof safe that we have now. So he's like, "Hey, can you go into the other room and get me these papers?" And she's like, "Oh, sure." And so she goes in there, and he sneakily shuts the door. And he has a peephole in, so you can watch this happen. He sneakily shuts the door because he doesn't want her to panic immediately. And he shuts the door, and she's like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, the door got shut. You know, he'll come get me in a second. Then the gas starts flowing. And the the only reason we know any of this happened is one thing Holmes did. But so the gas starts flowing. She starts going nuts. And he has it rigged in there to spill sulfuric acid to help speed up the process of her dying. Uh, but she starts, her feet literally start melting. She tries to kick the door in. Her foot gets burnt, like a, like a, like a uh, negative on a photo, on this steel door. And so she dies. Holmes gets her skeleton. And it is supposedly, I don't know what a beautiful skeleton looks like personally, but that is what's been said of her skeleton for years, is that she had a perfectly beautiful female skeleton. Uh, it that one sold for five hundred dollars articulated to a doctor, and it's still on display today in Chicago. What do you think of that? I mean, I feel like I need a road trip to Chicago to see it. Oh no, thank you. There's um, enough dead bodies in Chicago. But yeah, I mean, I couldn't imagine being trapped in that safe. And you're, you know, you're literally burning in there and you're trapped and you're suffocating. It's just so much was happening in there. And that wasn't even remotely the first person he killed in that safe. That was oh. one of the first things he was doing that he was, you know, forcing men in there to sign insurance policies to finish funding the construction of the castle. Um, so I think that was one of the areas of the how the castle that he that might have been his favorite. He loved the safe. If you ended up in the safe, you were gonna die roughly. Yes. Like that was I think that was because he had this little clause that he had built on the other wall of the safe with his people where you kind of sit and just watch. Yes. And it was just like I think I think you're 100 percent right. It was his favorite spot. Like he reserved that for his quote unquote fun murders. Like his favorite. His favorite murders. Yeah, because he would just special people. Yeah. He would kill random people about every other night and yeah. just go collect their body after they were dead. And but this was the ones like he wanted to watch. He wanted to watch them struggle and stuff. Like the real power move. Uh I feel like I'm forgetting something. But yeah, so that's that one. The safe. He's he's insane. But so, like you said, this is that's a later murder. At this point, he's probably killed tens, if not, you know, more people. Uh, do you? What do you have for us next in this little area? Um, we can possibly talk about what all is in the basement. Why don't you get us started on the basement? The horrible, horrible basement. It was pretty much, you know, every serial killer's dream basement um he had his own crematorium down there 
he had a dissecting table, a stretching rack. He had, you know, vats that he could put bodies in that would remove all the flesh from the bones. And then he had vats of, you know, essentially bleaching agents that make skeletons that bright white that we see that are, you know, displayed. And he was able to get all of the bodies down there through the shoots that we've talked about. Um, and probably one of the things that I kind of like, I wouldn't say liked, but I kind of found intriguing the most is, and it's kind of very genius if you think about it, it's like he built these wooden boxes to remove the bodies, but he would then line the inside with tar. That way the blood wouldn't seep out. Like that to me is just the foresight, genius, but still genius to think, right. To think, okay, well, you know, blood is going to absorb and potentially leak through the seams of this box. How can I prevent that? Let's put a little tar inside, put a little light lining of tar inside. And now it's waterproof, AKA bloodproof. Um, so he just thought about all of the small details and the intricate side of it that I don't think a lot of serial killers in the modern era do. Yeah, he, that's why I have trouble putting him in the box of most modern serial killers because he's not, he's in his own level. Well, that's what happens when you, you start something you're going to be unique in the sense yeah, that you, you if you're the first one yeah fall in the definition but as time goes on and as society changes the appearance of something is going to change along with it mm -hmm. so you know serial killers now cannot kill in the same manner hh holmes did or even as you know ted bundy and the zodiac killer you can't you can't kill in that same way because now we have advances and people are, you know, they're more intelligent to evil and the ways that they commit the evil acts that you have to think differently. Sorry, the dog's trying to get in the room. I, uh, but yeah. So what do you think before we get out of Chicago? Because I know we pretty much hit a lot of the main ones. We have two more little notes that I have before we get out of Chicago. But what do you think about the... Do you ever see the quote from the cyanide man? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, yeah. like we said, H.H. Holmes was a uh, pharmacist. He could go and buy mass amounts of drugs, whatever he wanted, because he was... Chloroform. Yeah. Yes. So, the chloroform man, there was literally a man that sold... I can't think of the actual name of it. There's a weird 1800s name for the guy that sold the dangerous chemicals. Keep in mind at this time, cocaine was not a dangerous chemical. Opium was not a dangerous chemical. That was the other drug wholesaler that Holmes had to go to. Right. Cocaine was given for, to children for toothaches. I still have. This is another side story. It's been a minute. I have my cocaine jar in the other room. Uh, it was my great grandmother's. I mean, it was just commonplace as aspirin is today so we have the it whole coca-cola yeah and everything my great it was actually my great great grandmother my grandpa's grandma uh i got a meter uh she had the little flour you know like flour sugar that kind of stuff and there's yeah. a little one that says it's uh i don't it says cocaine on it and it was from literally a set that was sold probably i don't know 1902 something like it's probably full yeah. uranium uh but 
yeah, it was like that was a dangerous chemical. Chloroform, though, the only reason chloroform was is because how fast it evaporated and and one break in the seal could put out a whole people or all the people in a room and nobody would know. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so he would go, and sometimes he was visiting this guy. So the chloroform man's quoted saying, "Holmes never bought a small amount. Not abnormal for some of the industrial stuff during the day." but never bought small amounts. It was always between, you know, two gallons, five gallons, 10 gallons. Uh, that is a lot of chloroform. Uh, yes. 10 gallons of chloroform would be enough to probably put out my town. Uh, right. Cause you only need a little dab on a rag mm-hmm. to put out a human. So he would get this guy, he would go like three, four, five times a week sometimes to this guy to buy more chloroform. And finally he was like, he was like, I would ask Holmes all the time what he was doing with this stuff. And he'd never give me a straight answer. He was like, one time, I was like, no, I'm not selling you anymore until you provide me a viable explanation of why you buy this much. It was a, pretty much the only person in Chicago that had the ability to call out Holmes without reparations because Holmes needed this guy because uh, he was pretty much the only game in town for buying bulk chloroform. So Holmes was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I do a lot of experiments. Here's the kind of experiments I do. Uh, that's why I use so much. Chloroform guy's like, perfect, makes sense. You know, now I can sleep and not worry about it. Two days later, Holmes comes back in, and he's like, how are those experiments going? And he's like, what the hell are you talking about? I'm not doing any experiments. And he's like, Holmes forgot the lie because he didn't care. Because it was just to shut up some person he viewed so much lower than him. He didn't care to remember it. And the chloroform guy still sold him because he paid his bill. And that was the other funny thing with the chloroform guy. The only person that Holmes ever dealt with, they got paid every time on time, was the chloroform man. Of course. You don't want to make the person who's supplying you with the main means of killing people, you don't want to make them mad. You want to keep getting that supply in. Oh. It just makes me laugh. So it is, I believe the year is now, let me find it real quick. 1901, right? Is the World's Fair? Uh, the World's Fair started in 1893. 93. So we're 93 in Chicago. Uh, he is getting bored. Uh, he's killed a lot of people. And I think he's getting to the point where he is no longer and whatever you want to call it, enjoying it because it's getting repetitive. There's no new ways to do stuff. So he meets a girl named Minnie. Minnie is reported as being uh, not attractive, which was odd for Holmes to deal with anybody that wasn't considered extremely attractive. She was considered boorish uh, with a more than health, healthy, healthy appetite. Uh, but she was accompanied by her sister, Mammy. So Mammy was everything exactly like Minnie, but awful. Minnie was at least nice. Like, personality-wise, she wasn't a bad lady. Mammy was the one that was, like, horrible. And so Holmes... So Holmes starts hanging out with Minnie, and, of course, by association, Mammy. Uh... And I can imagine it was it was one whole week, 
and I imagine this was the worst week of Holmes' life, and it brings me joy. Uh, because Minnie was had was roughly valued at a million dollars during the time. So, you know, ten you know ten million dollars today or something like that. You know, not extremely wealthy by today's standards, but not a poor person. But Holmes wasn't interested in the money. Minnie was the heir to this giant piece of land in Texas that a lot of people believe Holmes, this was his next murder castle. He already had probably two or three murder castles down the road planned. And he's bored with this one. He's ready to get out. So he took Minnie and Mammy to the World's Fair every day because it was the only thing they could think to do. Uh, and you know the funny thing about this World's Fair? Is it's where the elephant ear was invented was this year at the World's Fair. Oh, wow. And apparently, Minnie ate a lot of them. Oh, and, no. and then Mammy would complain the whole time. So Holmes is dragging around what is considered to be two ladies of the time that aren't attractive. Uh, one is very loud, one is dumb-ish. Uh, so Holmes is just being... It, I'd bring This brings me great joy of this monster being forced to be paraded around with these two ladies in public and they're dragging him around, making him pay for everything. And you know how much he hates paying for things. Right. Uh, because this is not his normal murders because he needs certain information to get this land in Texas. Eventually he just, he's, he's had enough. He kills them both in the safe like a week later. And he didn't really get all the information he needed to get this land in Texas. But he's already set up in his mind he's going to Texas. Right. So that brings me great joy. Any comments for that before we move out of – or do anything before we move out of Chicago? Um, no, I don't think anything else that we need to discuss that was happening in Chicago. Nope. Okay. Well, everybody, we're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back. So give us one second and... Welcome back to Crypts of the Corn. Once again, it's Justin and Rachel, Jay's replacement. So you'll never hear from Jay again. Uh, but yeah, uh, we may not, he may have got eaten by a Bigfoot. I, I don't have that knowledge. Uh, but yeah, so we're coming back, back to H.H. H. Holmes. So H.H. H. Holmes puts on his cowboy hat, leaves Chicago because he's getting bored of killing all those poor people in Chicago. Uh, he just, he like, so he did not get the land, as far as I know, he did not get the land from the mini and Mammy murder. He, but he had in this mind, we're like, okay. Well, obviously, Texas is my next area. You know, it was just meant to be. So him and Pretzel load up, and they move on down to Texas. Holmes gets this taste of wanting to be a real out west outlaw. And like we said earlier, Holmes is very smart, very dapper man, but not a overpowering killer. There's a reason 90% of his victims were women. Uh, you know, he, I don't think he could have done very well fighting a man 
especially in Texas, you know, at this time. What do you think, Rachel? I'd agree. That, yeah. I think I don't think he would have done too good if he started targeting men in Texas. No, I mean, that's a totally different breed of people mm-hmm. than he was interacting with in Chicago. He really preyed on the the weak and the weary in Chicago. Those that wouldn't be missed. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think he would have found that. In Texas, I don't think it, he could have probably found two of them, and there'd have been two other schmucks from Chicago like he was. That was passing through. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right, so he gets down there. He wants to be this big outlaw. I don't know where this idea in his head comes from, but I'm going to assume it's because most little kids, you know, that's like one of the three paths. You want to be a cowboy, you want to be an astronaut, and you want to be a dinosaur. And two of those things didn't exist at this time. That's from my childhood specifically. I wanted to be a dinosaur. Uh, I didn't realize that that was a common desire for a little boy. That's what I'm putting it as. It is to make myself feel okay. better. Um, so Holmes gets there, and the first thing he gets the idea to do is he wants to steal horses to sell with pretzel. And in Texas, especially at this time, oh my gosh, at this time, stealing a horse was worse than stealing a baby. That's not even a joke. The laws for stealing a horse in Texas were pretty much immediate death by hanging or fire squad. Uh, The trials were remarkably quick for horse thievery. 90% of the time, they never got to go to jail. Uh, Most of the time, you'd be taken out to the farm you stole from, and they'd just kind of, they'd shoot you themselves. And a thing we don't realize is these horses weren't pets. These were your tractors. These were your cars. These were, you know, like your... These are your transportation for mail and everything. The, the railroads did a you know, pretty good job of getting one side of the country to the other, roughly. But most of the time, you still had two or 300 miles of horse riding to get anywhere past that, like to get from the train depot. Uh, so horses were... It's, it's something I feel like is lost when we talk about this stuff. You know, like we said, 170 years ago. The horse was everything. Uh, it wasn't... It was life. Yeah. Stealing cattle was stealing food. Stealing a horse was stealing your life. Uh, yes. So they get there and they pick a really well-off guy to steal horses from, which was probably, I don't get like, like we've talked about this whole time, how smart he was and how pre-planned he was. It just seems like he's starting to lose the script and getting wild with it. Like he just kind of got there and I'm like, I'm going to go steal a horse. I'm going to steal that horse. Really rich man's horse. So him and Pretzel go, they pretty much get arrested like the next day. It wasn't hard because they were, you had the fence horses. You had to literally go to a person that you would know would sell a stolen horse and not, you know, not write you out. They didn't know what they were doing. So they get arrested. And actually, I don't think, does Pretzel get arrested at this time? I've seen nothing on him I don't, being arrested. I don't think he gets arrested. And it's it's because what I believe. You know, he's a big idiot. And they're like, all right, you know, Lenny, go out and pet the rabbits. We're going to take your boss in and trial him for horses. Be a Rachel. If you guys haven't listened to part one, I don't know why you're in here this far. We both <laughs> we both think very differently of uh, Pretzel's intelligence level, as I've named him Pretzel. 
Uh, you can tell what I think. I did not view him as a simpleton at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't know where this idea came from. Now I. I'm pretty sure I'm completely wrong. Uh, but I'm too late in the game to change my idea. Because uh, I've written him out. Literally, I picture Lenny from Of Mice and Men in my head. Uh, but that's just me. So Holmes gets thrown into jail in this local county jail. And he's in there with the pretty boy bandit. And I have his actual name here. I think it was Hedge, Hedgewick. Hedgewick. I'm going to go Hedgewick. Uh, Hedgepith. Hedgepith? Yeah, we're going to go Hedgepith. Uh, that sounds right. I don't read names if anybody can't tell. Uh, so Hedgepith, we're just going to go with the pretty boy bandit. Uh, was a pretty notorious, especially this time in this area, outlaw. It was kind of weird. He'd been in and out of jail a lot. He never did enough to get hung, but he was an, he did enough to be known as like, that's a rough dude you don't mess with kind of deal, if that makes sense to everybody at home. Uh, he wasn't like the flat out, you know, out west, like shoot you, gun you down kind of guy, but he was nobody to mess around with. Uh so Holmes gets this like to me it seems like a fanboy kind of complex where he's like oh you know I'm 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 a really big you know scary man too I'm a I'm a you know I'm a killer I've done this stuff and here's what I'm planning on doing in the future and you know uh pretty boy is like yeah you, you know yeah sure but you know he probably looks like a fish out of water I can imagine him Hi. sorry I think this also was where kind of his narcissistic personality traits come into play Mm -hmm. is he does not want to be the weaker one Mm -hmm. or the less intelligent one. So he's trying to talk himself up um, and he's also thinks that nothing bad will come from it because he's so smart and he's smarter than his cellmate. I think you're right. I think you're right on the nail with that one. And so he is just talk. He kind of talks about all the stuff in Chicago he was doing and future plans. Uh, so this is his biggest mistake right here. He tells Pretty Boy about his future plan to commit another insurance fraud on his partner Pretzel. Uh, you know, faking his death and stuff like that. Doesn't tell him he's going to kill him or nothing. He's like, you know, this is the insurance scheme. And he's like, I need a lawyer I can trust with criminal activity. I'll, I'll, I'll give you five hundred bucks if you can tell me of a good lawyer that I can tell. You know, we can, I can work this deal out. Pretty boy's like, sure. Gives him a name, and that it's Howes or How, H O W E, Jedith How. Um, gives him his name, and then Holmes makes bail. Holmes pretty much immediately uh, meets up with this How. How's like, okay, the plan's great, you know, whatever. So the plan kind of is, and Pretzel agrees to this plan, but the plan is to take out a big life insurance policy on Pretzel and uh, basically fake his death so his wife can get 10, so his wife can claim the $10,000 and it'll be split three ways between Pretzel's family, uh, Holmes, and How is what it's supposed to go and that pretty boy gets his $500 finder's fee kind of deal. Well, Holmes is like, you know, I've done this before, you know, you get a cadaver or whatever, 
and depending on who you are, Rachel or Justin, you believe that, uh, um, oh my gosh, Pretzel knew that. It was pretty well with the schemes. There was one little detail, though, that is kind of weird. So Pretzel was a drinker, uh, but like I said, he had a really good relationship with his daughter. And he came home one night, super drunk, right before this stuff starts happening. And it's just his daughter, and he's like, listen, honey, if you see me dead in the newspaper, I'm not really dead. And that's all she. That's all he would say to her. And so this is like a couple weeks before the actual happens. Uh, but so she's like, so she kind of forgets this. You know, her dad's drunk. Her dad had said, she had claimed her dad had said other wild things why he was very intoxicated before. Uh, so the plan is to make it look like, uh, oh my gosh, pretzel died in a chemical explosion. He was smoking a cigarette too close to an exhaust vent, and this thing blew up. Well, Holmes just kills him. I don't know how else to burst that bubble. Holmes just kills him and dumps a bunch of acid in his face, and then sticks a cigar in there, and makes this plant look like it exploded. And then he just frolics off and goes and hangs out with Pretzel's family. Before we move on from there, what do you think of that? Like, this does, this seems to me like he's starting to unravel. He, he, yeah, he's definitely no longer being methodical about his crimes. He's not thinking them out. He is doing them out of almost a sense of panic, I think. I think that's... He's realizing and... Um, I think he's starting to realize that more and more people are noticing him. Um, And he's not getting away with things as easily as he had before. I think actually going to jail completely shook him up in a sense. I think he was still very cocky and thinking that he's never going to get caught. But also in the back of his mind, he's realizing things aren't going as planned. And he doesn't like that. He likes things to go exactly as he planned. Um, So he's doing things more out of kind of like instant thought rather than his, you know, 10 steps ahead plans Mm -hmm. that he typically does. I think think you're 100% right. This is just him. I don't know. It's hard to put normal people's emotions on somebody like this. Uh, It is. And I think that's why... A lot of times with serial killers or just killers in general, you know, we always look for the why did they do something and we never truly get an answer that satisfies us because in our minds, that was never a reason to do what they did. That was never logical because they don't have a, the same logical thinking that we do. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's, it's just, it's almost, it's almost impossible. To really think it about it. Uh, so, he kills Pretzel. Once again, fidgeting in my chair. Uh, he kills Pretzel. Does this. Then, the only 1800 super cop. The I, I'll guarantee probably the only one. Because before this, they were just solving milk murders. Uh, comes out and he's like, Hey, this doesn't make sense. I worked in a chemical factory 
when an explosion happens, it's actually the limbs that are ripped off the body, not the face. Is you know the face shouldn't be the first one messed up. It should be the hand closest to the uh, chemical vat. And so now the insurance you know company's like, huh? How how peculiar. And so this is the first time that Holmes hits snags with this scheme. So then they want somebody to ID the body. And it can't be Holmes, because, you know, Holmes isn't going to stroll down there. So he takes, I believe it was Pretzel's niece, which was living with them for some reason, to go ID the body. And then he just keeps, like, it's so weird. He just, it doesn't make, like like we said earlier, it doesn't seem to make sense, his logic behind why he wouldn't just take his wife. Like, why would you just take the man's wife? So, he does not... You okay? Yeah, there was a fly in oh, here. Oh, I thought you were telling me to shut up. I'm like, okay, I'll shut up. Oh, no. So, yeah, he doesn't get this money. And he t- basically moves up back to Detroit uh, with Pretzel's family. And it was weird. He had, like, basically, like, three groups of people he was chaperoning around. Uh, before we get into the next little thing, and this is kind of coming on to the end of this saga, what do you think about the whole... This just seems like, to me, his, this is really where it starts to go off the rails. The plan didn't work from the beginning. There's too many snags. And he. I think that's why... He, well, we're going to see in a minute. I think that's why he grabs on to Pretzel's family, because this is the last bit of control or power he really has. Yeah, um, I feel like a lot kind of happens uh, from Texas to the trial. I feel like Texas was very short mm-hmm. kind of time frame for his life um, and his criminal life as well. Um, it did not remotely go as he planned, and I think he had to quickly regroup, and that involved him just hightailing it out of the Texas mm-hmm. and going back up north. I think where he was more adjusted to and he could better read the type of people that were Northern versus Southern Texas. <laughs> yeah. I, I, that's probably right. Um, sorry. I got a text. Very professional podcaster over here. Uh, but yeah, so he gets stuck or not stuck. I don't know. This is the part of the story that's always, Really weird to me. But he ends up with these... How many family members I'm looking for? It, But he ends up with, you know, the daughters, the wife, and his, you know, niece and nephew, Pretzel's family. Not Holmes's family. He ends up with all of Pretzel's family in Detroit. And he's keeping a couple of them in two different hotel rooms, sometimes blocks away from each other. And he's keeping some of them in a car. Or not a car, uh, like, a, like a buggy thing. Yeah, so he does go missing, essentially, with the three kids. Okay. He's he's essentially on the run with them. And I'm not sure why, because he's not known to be a lover of children. I, and there's no end game in that, I, of taking them. That's what uh, I'm really having trouble with. And it almost ends up being another downfall for him, because 
now he's taken three children. So people are going to be looking for him harder to try to find these these kids. Uh, so I another thing was the biggest thing like he stuck out like a sore thumb because he was dressed very fine, looked very dapper, and these three kids were is middle of winter Detroit had no coats because he he thought it was kind of useless to buy a walking corpse a coat because uh, I really think that's what he was kind of seeing these kids as. I really think he took them because this was his last bit of control and power he had. He needed to rule over somebody. He killed Pretzel, which is the person he always had the thumb on. So he's like, well, I got his kids. So at least I got these these people I can hold on to and, you know, do whatever I want with. Yeah, but then he, like, ends up killing them in completely different cities, even different countries. Does he kill all three, or does he just kill the two? So in my notes that there was... A detective, he's Detective Frank Geyer, I think would be how you pronounce his name. He ends up being hired to find all three of the kids. And over the course of his investigation, he does end up finding all three dead. Okay. So So did the Pretzel have a fourth daughter then? Or a a fourth kid, a third daughter? Because one of his daughters survived in a, a while to talk about all this stuff. Okay, I'm not sure. I just have down in my notes that he kidnapped three children. So he, I guess they could have had a fourth one, but he only took three. Okay. He took Alice, who was 15, Nellie, who was 11, and Howard, who was eight. So two girls and a boy. Okay. Um, and they end up finding the two girls buried in a cellar of a Toronto house. Um, and then two months after the detective Frank found the girls, they found Howard's, so the little boy. His remains were found in the base of a chimney in Indianapolis, Indiana. <laughs> so a little close to us. Um, so they did end up finding the three children he did take. They did find all three of those deceased and buried. So I think, you know, that was a little bit of a dumb move on his end. But again, I think he was starting to get a little bit in the panic mode, mm-hmm. a little bit of the unorganized killer aspect over the organized, methodical. Um, and just a little side note, the Detective Frank, he did end up writing a book about Holmes and his investigation, if anyone's interested in reading that. Hmm. I think it sounds like a pretty good book. It's called A History of the Greatest Crime of the Century. Didn't Holmes remove one of the girl's feet? I don't know. I don't have anything in my notes on so that. The the middle girl had cl- a club foot. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing I that I found, but I don't I couldn't substantiate that. But that he removed the feet and they think he did it just to make it harder to ID the girls. Uh, or the girl, uh, but yeah. you know that's like we were talking about this 170 years ago. What's real? What's not? At this point, right? Uh, but yeah, he, he buried them in Toronto. Who's to say that an animal didn't, you know, grab the foot and run off with it, or something, or they just didn't find the foot and they stopped looking? Who knows? So. I mean, this is pretty much coming to an end 
of Holmes's reign of terror. Uh, he gets arrested in Boston on November 17th, 1894. Uh, he was being tracked down. He got tracked down in Philadelphia by the uh, private Pinkerton National Detective Agency, which is still around today. If you know, nobody realizes that uh, they still are. They're not they don't do exactly the same thing they used to do. Uh, but my grandpa bought it, got arrested by them once. Uh, so they are still very active to this day. Uh, he deserved it, though, so don't worry, everybody at home. Um, but yeah, so in on July area, so he he gets arrested. But Rachel, what does he get arrested for by the Pickerington police? So he's actually originally arrested for his insurance scam. Mm-hmm. All the death hanging above this man's head. I love the cases that it's never their most evil crimes that do them in. Mm -hmm. It's always something else that's smaller and much easier in the criminal justice system to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that you've committed. And they have at least got you behind bars. Um, And I think at least my favorite example of that is Al Capone, who, you know, after all of the evil crimes he does commit over his life, he he is arrested, you know, for tax evasion tax by evasion. an amazing accountant who helped investigate that. So me being an accountant, that's a double love for that story. See, that's both. She was a, or was it a she or he that got him arrested? Uh, probably a he at that time. Yeah, with Al Capone. It, I mean, it was probably a male. But, yeah, getting him arrested through tax evasion. Yes. That's all. So he gets arrested. Uh, once again, we're on Holmes. Uh, that, that, that Al Capone's a whole other bag of cats. Yes. Uh, but he gets arrested. And as he... Keep in mind, his, the problems he caused in Texas have not left him yet. Because sitting in a lonely jail cell, still awaiting $500 is the Pretty Boy Bandit. The Pretty Boy Bandit gets the daily paper. Uh, I think he was in, he was he got out and then got rearrested. So he wasn't sitting in jail this whole time. It just happened he was back in jail. Uh, gets arrested. Sees Holmes' face all over the paper that he gets. And he goes ballistic. Because he, for one thing, he's mad he never got his $500. The second thing is he immediately recognizes his get out of jail free card. Uh, So he starts, he's like, bring me the judge. Holmes is my cellmate. He told me he was going to do all this stuff and what he did to Chicago. So the judge gets there, release basically in exchange for testimony, releases him. So now as Holmes is sitting in jail for tax or uh, yeah, for insurance fraud, almost a tax evasion. I was back on to Capone. Uh, for insurance fraud, he doesn't know hundreds of miles away. This man is about to unravel everything. But so he, he just squeals. So now all these Chicago cops go into the murder hotel and they start, then this is you know, like we've talked about. There's a lot of this stuff that is, uh, oh, what was the word we used? Very much dramatized. Sensationalized. Sensationalized. That's the that's the word. Uh, 
so he, they go there, and there was a claim that these cops were like stepping over piles of women's clothes. Uh, we found the shoots, found the everything in the basement. We're like, oh my, you know, they were realizing like they were in a truly evil place. But the not my, I don't know how to explain this. I find this humorous, but not in a funny way. If it's true, uh, that they said there was one whole small room full of nothing but shoes. Nothing but shoes. Like, because he didn't he didn't get rid of the shoes. And I could, I don't know if that's true. We've talked about that off air. But I could see him being, because he's smart, lazy. I could see him being like, I don't know what to do with all these friggin' shoes. Chuck them in that room. Right. Uh, but yeah. So where do we go from there? After so this is right when his life like he starts unraveling. I know I have a note about kind of the investigation of the castle to kind of go off of you talking about you know he they found rooms of shoes supposedly right that's probably um, all sensationalized I I, right. I, I very don't um, believe that actually happened it's just one of the things I want to believe happened right there's just a room full of women's shoes. Right. Um, but, you know, police did investigate the castle. Um, it wasn't just all forgotten about and swept under the rug and no one knew about it. Um, but they did go in and they did find quite a lot of bodies, but they were so badly dismembered and decomposed that it was hard for them to even determine exactly how many bodies there were there. So, I mean, just thinking about how many bodies does there need to be to not be able to know how many bodies there are, you know, even if they're completely dismembered and, you know, decomposing and rotting, you should be able to tell, Oh, there's maybe two or three here or four or five. I mean, how many had to been there decomposing and vats and everything that they can't even put a rough number on it. To me, it's like in my head, like count pelvises. Count something that, you know, people have one or two big ones of. Or how many feet did you find? It's not, Most people have two. Right. Yeah. Mo- yeah. But if there's that many to where it was like, I could also, so here's the other thing. I've dealt with the Chicago PD a lot. And historically, they've only, they've never improved. I don't know. I have a lot of heavy opinions about the Chicago PD. Uh, but I could also see them going in. And there being maybe three melty bodies on the floor and being like, all right, just say undescribable. I don't want to touch try, that. Right. And I try to give them the benefit of the doubt being what, you know, air they're in. It's not like they have, you know, all these experts that can come in. And right. There's no forensics. Bodies. There's no. Right. So I'm trying to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I feel like they could at least put a rough number on it. I I, I, I feel like see count femurs. Rough numbers on how many they actually actively found still there when they walked in. The hardest bones to get rid of are femurs and pelvises. I believe the pelvises. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm 99% sure about femurs. They're the biggest load bearing bone we have. They're incredibly dense. Right. Uh, I mean, they're hard to break. Uh, you break your femur, you had to do something pretty dramatic. Or traumatic. And it's one of the worst pains yeah. that you can experience in your body. It's the muscles wrapped around it are pulling it apart mm-hmm. or pulling it, crushing it. But it's like 
how do you not know? I really, I, I'm with you there. Like, just say, do you see like roughly 20 people in that pile? Do you see roughly 30 people? Right. Or did they also not put a number on it because, you know, they're trying to not make the city seem as dangerous as it is at the time? That if they say, oh, undetermined, that sounds better than saying 30. Or, yeah. you know. There, there is a fact I did leave out earlier um, about Chicago at this time. I believe, oh, do you remember how big the population was at this time? I do not, but I know it, it was like tripling, if not more than that. It was It was like that, doing that every year for a while. But yeah. let's just put, I don't know the number right at the top of my head. It's buried in my notes somewhere. But let's, I know they didn't have half a million, but let's say they had half a million. They had 500,000 people. They only had a police force and infrastructure for like 30,000 people. They had a police, they had an infrastructure set up for less than one, like fifth of the population. Right. And these police aren't trained at the time. They're basically just people walking around monitoring. They're just there to break up bar fights. Right, what we would think of as security. These yeah, days. exactly. They, it's it's such a weird thing. You imagine that cop that has only broken up bar fights his whole career walks into the the basement of the murder hotel. No wonder he didn't give a number. He's like, "There's more than three people in here. Uh, I'm gonna walk out." Right. He might not have been able to stay in the room long enough to count. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You yeah know, there's a lot of. He just puked and left. So it comes up. Talks to his partner. He's like, hey, uh, when you go down there, try to count how many people are in that bucket of heads. Just, uh, I tried, and I got to four, and that was four too many. Right. And it's a big bucket. They've seen nothing like this before. Oh, it's giving me chills. It's. (laughs) uh, And imagine the smell, too. Like, that just had to be, like, because, I mean, it's been essentially shut up for however long it was. So this, it's just a few days. Yeah. There's no air conditioning. I think it was a few months at this point. He had been away. Right. And there's no air conditioning. It they weren't preserved. They weren't in a cooler. They're just nature's taking their course. Yeah. And I'm sure some of those bodies probably floated and exploded and then continued to rot. It's not a pretty picture in that basement Ooh. or the other rooms. Uh, we were in Chicago. So speaking of Chicago, and my biggest fear when I used to do fish surveys was finding a body. Because really, oh, it happened. Uh, the other fish crew found one. Uh, and because in the Santerre Ship Canal, there's so many people get thrown in there every year. Oh god, yeah. Uh, so we, that's where we were working, and there was one area that smelled so bad, and I'm like, yes. I'm like, oh, gosh. You know, I I know police well and firefighters, and they always have talked about, like, once you smell a dead body, you will never forget it. It is very distinct, Mm -hmm. and it will stay with you. And you don't get it confused with another smell once you know what it is. And so the one I was smelling was actually being a giant invasive carp that got beached. But, yeah, mammal... Has a different smell than fish. Mm-hmm. As when we talk about rot, it's just because it's different bacterial yeah. colonies. Like I think we had a pig one time when we had a farm that died, and it'd probably been dead. It wasn't dead for very long, but still had. It's a pig, 
So it already yeah. stunk. And then the smell it produced was something I'd never want to smell again. But, yeah. oh my gosh, the basement of the murder hotel. It is now a post office. Yeah. Do you th- and they actually were attempting to turn it into a tourist attraction. I would have. After the fact. And they had already put out promotion, marketing, advertising, whatever you want to say, for this attraction. And they had already cleaned it up and everything. And mysteriously, right before it was due to open, it catches fire. Yeah, I'm assuming some farmer from Ohio whose daughter went missing in Chicago uh, drove up for the the weekend. Yeah. And uh, because, yeah, I'm sure. And because... Like we were saying, there's tons of missing people every year in Chicago. I, But everybody instantly was like, their kid they never heard from again, it was H.H. Holmes. Right. Even though, you know, statistically, it wasn't. Even though he killed a lot of people. Right. Yeah. There was, I mean, the daily wrong pickpockets are crazy. At this time, there's another fact I forgot. At this time, there was two deaths a day. By train. Two deaths a day. So were people just walking out on the tracks? It was like mostly dumb hicks. Happened? It was mostly dumb hicks falling in front of a train at a train station. Okay. But no. After having a little too much anything. You know, liquor. Yeah. And it was two. There was one lady that got that tripped and then fell in front of a train. And it was so death was Chicago wasn't void of death. It's still not void of death. I like I I'm that city so scarred me. Like I spent yeah. for four years, I spent four months of the year in Chicago, and not the pretty parts. Uh, right. I hate when people are like, "I love Chicago." No, you and love Michigan suburb. Avenue. Yeah. Go two blocks over. Yeah, you don't love Chicago. You love where there's an, yeah. a line of policemen keeping you in your wallet intact. Right, where everyone on that street's rich. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think we're on to his trial. Yes. So why don't you why don't you take the lead on this one? I believe 100% you know a lot more about this than I do. Okay, absolutely. So um, I believe this will still be in around 1895. Um, so on September 12th, um, in a Philadelphia grand jury indicted Holmes for the murder of Pretzel, a crime he pleaded not guilty to. Shortly after, he starts writing his memoir because, of course, he's a narcissist. He's got to get oh his gosh, yes. out. Um, and this, his memoir is actually still available. You can get it on Amazon for like 16 bucks if anyone is interested. But within it, he did kind of talk about that he was just a very ordinary man. He (laughs) thought nothing of what he did was wrong or out of the ordinary. He just thought he was just your average Joe. But anyways, on with the trial. He, again, pleaded not guilty, kept claiming his innocence. Um, He was notorious for blaming other people for everything he did. Again, a narcissist. So at the end of a five-day trial in October of 1895, Holmes was found overwhelmingly guilty. 
He did end up appealing his sentence, um, but that was denied. And then he, again, continued was writing his memoir, which then in turn turned into a confession. That's rather what I was... than just a, a yeah. narcissistic memoir. He ended up confessing in his, within his memoir. Um, and then on May 7th, 1896 he was hanged for the murder of pretzel and only how none of the other you know rumored or confirmed deaths that is connected to Holmes he was never tried never charged for any of those he was only ever tried and convicted for one murder and that was Benjamin pretzel and he did end up right before he was hanged. He did end up selling his story to Hearst Corporation for a whopping ten thousand dollars. I'm not quite sure what he planned to do with that ten thousand dollars. I just I have that in my notes, and I'm like, why? Again, that's all I think he cared about. He wanted one last getting it over on somebody. Yeah, he wanted one last big payday, and that was getting more money at the last second for all of those people that he killed. Um, and within that memoir, he originally admitted to murdering over 100 people, but he later changed that number to only 27. And I say only 27 like it's nothing, but in comparison of what is speculated that he did kill it is only 27 um a lot of a lot of those couldn't be confirmed again it's only rumors um are trying to statistically estimate how many he could have killed or realistically killed we will never unfortunately know the exact number he was not at the end of his time writing down names or descriptions of the people he killed he's just Again, was just trying to, I guess, get attention in the last bit of his life. Um, but yeah, not quite sure what he was going to do with ten thousand with <laughs> only a few months left. Right. Um, out of the, uh, hanged, sorry, out of the yeah. twenty-seven people, we talked about it way early ago in this episode. Five of those women that he claimed out of the twenty-seven uh, were alive. Uh, yes. What do you claim that he killed them? They were a lot. I, Which is strange. I think he couldn't remember people, names. Right. And maybe he wasn't even intentionally lying about these women. He was just completely confused. Because I don't think he gave a rat's crap about any yeah. of these women. That he probably wasn't even calling them by their names when he was their lover. He probably had some made-up nicknames so mm-hmm. he never got them confused I, I, to where they didn't I subscribe to that. I think that, like, I, I don't think he purposely lied about the women he killed. I just think he was like, I can remember these 27 names, so I'm going to assume they were people I killed. Right, and people use that as evidence that he didn't kill many people. That because he gave five names that was confirmed to still be alive, He's lied about all of the other names except for the one that he was convicted of. It, to me, it points the other way. Like, it, it, right. he just, he can't remember. There are so many women's names floating around in his head. He's like, all right, I remember a Betty Sue. I remember, oh, there was one Tara. 
uh, oh gosh, I just called them all honey. Uh, right. And the, uh, yeah, it was just. I mean, at the bare minimum, you have Pretzel, his three kids, Minnie, Minnie's sister. Manny, Mammy, Minnie and Mammy. That's still the best part of this story for me, that he had to suffer a week with these two women that were probably bickering at each other. Around the most countryest country mm-hmm. people you can get, and him in this fancy suit thinking he's better than everybody, these, and they're all eating funnel cakes. These, yeah, this these big southern women yelling yeah. about elephant ears uh, in downtown Chicago, and he has to just keep paying money so Minnie can go get another elephant ear. And at this World Fair, they actually premiered for the first time ever, I believe, the Ferris wheel. Um, so I'm just also picturing him having to get on the Ferris wheel with them. And being miserable. I could just so see him just sitting between these two ladies, like. Yes. And, you know, everyone else is having a great time seeing all these new inventions and <laughs> the changing of their country and he's just miserable with these two, you know, you know, ugly ducklings. Oh. And it's just, I think that's. A little bit of karma for him. I, th- I think so. Not I think, nearly enough karma. Right. It's the only but part of the story where he got any kind of retribution. Absolutely. And he got nothing out of it. I really, you know, it was just one of the few times it was he came out on the short end of the stick, even though he did kill and, them. Right. And if you really kind of look at it, they got their revenge in a way because they got to go to texas started the downfall mm-hmm. like he wanted their property he was trying to get to texas he gets to texas gets arrested you know and then the guy rats him out like so like in a way those two god love them ugly ducklings <laughs> did him in and i i kind of like that thinking of the story in that kind of way that from beyond the grave they were the ones that essentially changed his luck. I want Minnie and Mammy shirts made. Yes. And the thing is, they were probably still very pretty. I, just, yeah, I know. He was going for supermodels at the time. He he really was. And so, yeah, it's that's just weird. So he gets hung. But there's a little controversy with that. Or there was. In 2017, there was allegations that Holmes had escaped his execution. That he actually broke out of prison the night before. And they didn't know what, they didn't know how to catch him. They didn't know what to do. Because uh, once again, he was not a dumb man. He was most of the time the smartest man in the room. Uh, so they they accused the prison of just like, Looking at a cellmate, we're like, "Hey, guess what? In the morning, you're Holmes. We're gonna hang you because we have to hang Holmes because all this stuff came out. You know, America's first serial killer, this monster, and the prison loses him. Guess what, roommate? I'm gonna here's your here's your new name tag, and you're being hung in the morning. Uh, and the so that goes that that, that came out in 2017, but the same year later, uh. Holmes' descendant, I thought I had her name, Janet, uh, uh, graciously gives her DNA, and they exhume Holmes' body 
uh, test a tooth. So he was encased in concrete. Uh, so he was remarkably well-preserved for being, you know. And, and I read that he actually specifically asked to be buried under concrete so that no one could grave rob his body. I didn't know that. That I little monster. Is, but I want to believe he said that. His skeleton should have been hanging in some doctor's office. Right. I feel like a narcissist would... Absolutely. I could, Especially adding in the sociopath aspect of him and knowing what all he did. Mm-hmm. I can absolutely believe that he was like, please bury me under concrete so no one could do what I did to others, to me. Oh my gosh. I can I can see that. So anyways, they exhume his, or exhume his body. Do uh, he His teeth have still DNA in their cores. They test it with this person. It is 100% Holmes. So Holmes did not do this great mysterious escape, even though that idea was very fascinating to a lot of people. Uh, but what didn't get to me is he would be dead anyways. It's like people that are still hunting for if Hitler escaped. You're still looking for a, a corpse uh, at yeah, this point in time. It's nice to be able to the solve point. Yeah. a theory, rumor conspiracy theory, whatever you want to call it. It's still Mm -hmm. nice to put that to bed. So of all of the outlandish rumors or stories about Holmes, at least this one we can put to bed, that he really did die. He was hanged. He was under that concrete this whole time. And he's not, he wasn't out there killing people in other cities because Mm -hmm. he escaped. The monster is dead. Uh, Right. And his hanging was pretty rough. Did you see this? I did not. Uh, so there's some mystery with his actual, the event of his hanging. Uh, some people think that the rope was short on purpose. Uh, so his neck did not break when the, when the door dropped, he actually, I know I, that's, he choked for over 20 minutes and that was one of the longest ones uh, of the time. Cause even they really think that somebody really made the, the rope short. Uh, but yeah. I really hope that is true too. I, th- I that he suffered in the end. I think that I think that is. I think that's substantiated by a couple of newspapers that were there for the hanging. Uh, yeah, because this like, hangings at this time were still a pretty big uh, event, community events. Oh yeah, town center. Everyone come out watch it, kind of deal. It was a big spectacle at the time. So that is the story of America's first true monster, H. H. Holmes. I like to say a lot that monsters are real. There's 99% of the time they're people. And he is definitely one of them. And Scooby-Doo proved that. Mm-hmm. So. so what's your overall thoughts on this man? Before we get into just serial killer topic. My overall thoughts on him. I do that to Jay. Um, <laughs> I definitely don't think that he would be able to commit the murders in the same fashion that he did then today. Oh, no. That's for sure. And the, you know, psychology, the overall psychology of him is greatly different than those, you know, from the 70s and 80s and onwards. You kind of almost have to look at him and just him if you're trying to analyze him. But overall, he was 
such an intelligent person and it's kind of a shame and I would love to be able to pinpoint exactly what drove him to use his intelligence more towards the evil side than the greater good because he could have gone and become a phenomenal doctor that maybe found some groundbreaking discovery or you know maybe he would have created a medical device because he loved to tinker with things but instead he builds you know a gas chamber you know and a body shoot so it's interesting and you know one thing you'll learn if you know you're studying criminals is there's always there's not always that one defining event in a person's life that turns them evil mm-hmm. sometimes it's just in their genetic makeup or how their brain is wired um, there's not always you can't always figure out what cause someone to do something so but yeah for all he's fascinating in a um study of human behavior not condoning of his behavior sorry uh do you so there's a little bit of argument on this part do you think he was a true sociopath this way before that diagnosis exists. Right. Mm. Oh, that's tough because I feel like you have to take into consideration the the time difference, um, like the time period. Um, I guess Possibly in the sense that sociopaths have no guilt. They have no feeling of guilt, remorse, or anything. So he definitely had that aspect. Um, But to be able to give him a clinical diagnosis of a sociopath, I don't think that there is enough confirmed information about him and his behaviors and his thinkings. Um, I think a lot of it is speculation or whatever was written in newspapers back then and then passed down through generations of stories. So it's very hard um, because nothing I saw reported on what he thought while he was doing these things. Um, Didn't brag about it to people. You know, we don't have any of that information. The only thing I could think of for that would be the pretty boy thing is that he immediately started one-upping him like that's not necessarily a sociopath no i agree with that more of a narcissist yeah i could see that but that's the only time i could think of something where it was like because that's why most sociopaths get caught is they 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 need they, they don't i don't know they're not like us so what they view as secretive and what they view as not is normally what gets them caught but it's i don't know i it's so long ago Maybe yeah. I could see it. Maybe I couldn't. All I know he was he was pretty much the embodiment of evil in a suit. Yeah, he was. And, you know, I don't even really necessarily think of him as a con artist. Yes, he was one, but that was such a small sliver of his story 
that, I don't know, he was just... He was all around he, weird. He was the first of his kind, absolutely. And uh, the last. I think there's nobody I could yeah. think of that even falls into the same box. I think that's why a lot of people today have so much trouble with H.H. Holmes of saying that he was this kind of killer. No, he was this kind of killer. Because he, I really do think he falls into his own slot. He existed in a time that allowed him to be the way he was. Yeah. And that'll never exist again. Yeah, I mean, if one person goes missing in a hotel now, if like the Hotel CC, Cecile or whatever it's called, it, that's out in Los Angeles, one woman went missing and that's like... This, yeah, the Cecil you know, Hotel. Yes, thank you. And which what serial killer know, lived in there? I think there are a few. There was like, the really famous hotel. one that would come home like covered in blood. Oh gosh, it wasn't the Night Stalker, was it? Was, it? Yeah, I think it might have been the Night Stalker. Okay, he would literally come back like, home. That hotel alone deserves its own entire podcast, not even an episode. Like mm-hmm. it's fascinating, but again, that proves that like. You can never have that happen again. One person alone, mm-hmm. upwards of 100 to 200 people if go missing. If two people go missing in the same hotel in the same year. It's shut down. It would like, The world would burn. Know. Right. It's. Not one going missing every night. Right. And so I think that's what created H.H. H. Holmes is he had the, the seed in him to do evil. Mm-hmm. But. Right. He, the 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 plant he grew into could only have existed in this time in America where the world was changing and couldn't keep up. I don't think if he existed in any other time, I don't think he would exist before that. Uh, he would have been evil still, I think, but he would not have got to the body count he did. If he existed a little after that, same thing. He would have never got to either end if he was just off by a little bit of when he was born. He literally existed in the death of the old world and the birth of the new. And he took full advantage of that ride. And not even knowingly taking advantage of it. No, yeah. Right, it's just like, it was his time to shine, I guess. Mm -hmm. It was, he was born when he was meant to be born. I guess. Right at the right moment. It depends on who meant for him to be born then, I guess. Right. A true monster. So, yeah, I think we hit H.H. H. Holmes pretty well. Uh, we have yes. a couple little talking points that I want to get your opinions on because uh, we already handed at him like two hours ago. Uh, that's what I thought was going to happen. Uh, why do you think? So like we said, roughly right now in the U.S., like since the 1920s and till today, averagely, there's about 50 serial killers working or active. In the 70s and into the 80s, they estimate there is anywhere from 250 to beyond active. Why in that time frame were they so... Why was there so many serial killers? I know there's so many opinions out there about this. There's so many different thoughts, different, you know. But the 70s... From rational to tenfold hat. Yes. Reasons, and everything in between. Um, and I think there is no, there is no answer. At least no one answer. I, I agree with that. There's no one I think answer. It is, again, as generations go on and you know, our culture changes, 
or, you know, or society changes, everything, technology, um, and everything around it changes. So why would serial killers not change? And I think kind of the argument is, did they change and adapt and are just not being discovered and there are far more out there? Or did they have, Donna. or they just kind of stopped in the tracks before they get to the, the definition of a serial killer? Or they called it one and two, when previously before advances in DNA and investigative skills um, and techniques, they were they would have been able to get to the three number needed to be technically a serial killer. Um, and I know when I was reading, you know, it was kind of talked about that, like, you know, I mentioned it earlier, the therapy aspect. Yeah, you know, they're catching on, it. Therapy becomes more and more, you know, socially acceptable. And, you know, kids are being put into therapy at earlier ages. And they're able to teach these kids coping skills. And that is one of the things that, you know, psychologists discuss as being a driving force for someone to become a killer and essentially a serial killer is their inability to cope with different emotions or things not going the way they want. Um, so, you know, these kids are being taught proper coping skills so they're not growing up to be serial killers in the same numbers as we were seeing in the 70s and 80s. Um, so that's one of the theories. Um, also, one of the theories that they kind of threw out in my research, but it's not many credible psychologists are kind of grabbing onto it, but it's a still a good talking point is we're not raising serial killers anymore. We're raising mass murderers. Those numbers have drastically increased. So, you know, instead of them being methodical, intelligent, and a planner, they just snap and become mass killers. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, the argument against that is those are two totally different mindsets. Makeups. Yeah. That, My, right. Those, those are. One is like for serial killers, they're more outgoing. They have social skills versus mass murderers. They typically are introverts. Um, they don't have very many friends. To me, it um, seems like predator versus lash out. Right. Serial killers, always, a lot of them seem more like the predator. They, 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 not right. the, not the movie, but an actual creature right. hunting, uh, sneaking yes. around, you know, the camouflaging and the mass murders just seemed more of push the edge, lash out types. Absolutely. And um, I, I don't, I don't, I can, I agree with you there. They're not, I don't think those co-occur. I don't think that's a part. I don't oh, think a mass murder would be a serial killer. That, yeah. Right. They didn't turn. They're totally different. Yeah. I, I can't get behind that one. No. Um, and one of the ones that I kind of, I probably lean towards a lot as being a definite factor in why we don't have as many serial killers now is we just live in an overall safer society. We're not hitchhiking. We're not yeah. walking everywhere. There's not as many vulnerable victims as there once were. Every you know, kid has a cell phone. Door. Right. 
you know, you can call for help if you think a car is following you. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not opening our front door to every person who knocks. I don't ever open my door unless you've called me and said you're coming over. You're just going to be standing there. Mm-hmm. You know, but in the 70s and 80s, everyone just opens the door and welcomes you in. And, you know, kids are outside playing on bicycles and, you know, unwatched. That doesn't happen now. So, and, you know, and there's cameras everywhere. So it's much easier to catch you in your first killing, your second killing versus you getting to three, four, five and onwards. Um, so I definitely think that is a very credible factor is why we don't have as many um, serial killers. I think you make me feel stupid. Uh, no, no, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm excited for your theory to oh. come out. But uh, no, I I subscribe to the the lead and gasoline theory. Uh, when I first yes. heard that, uh, so it that ended in eighty or that ended in seventy eight. But all the kids that were born in the sixties and seventies, which would be all of our serial, most of our serial killers in the seventies and eighties, were getting toxic levels of lead from gasoline, like in the air and everything. And for adults, already formed adults. That's not that big an issue, as in for your mental health. It takes a lot more lead to mess with you. When you're developing, it does not take that much to really screw with you. So that's what I'll, that's what some of the people I listen to and stuff, they point to that lane of thinking, is that there's always that baseline of serial killers. It's always going to exist. You're never going to get rid of them for X, Y, and Z. If you have this much population, you'll have roughly this much of them will be serial killers. But why we had that big hump is because we were literally pumping a psychological toxin into the air for years. And then finally somebody's like, that may not be good. Let's let's stop it. Because if you look when they banned leaded gasoline, there was not that big of a fight. And that's very weird for a big change like that in any legislation in this country ever. It's It was very weird. I, that's why I kind of point to it like, yeah, both sides were like, yeah, we came up with some studies that literally this is turning all of our kids evil. Uh, so maybe we stop this. And they're like, yeah, you know what? It's really harder to police an army of serial killers. Uh, but I don't know. That's what the one I kind of pieced through. But I also, I like both the ideas you said of we live in a, a much safer society in that nature, in that aspect of you. it's, it's almost impossible for you to get to three kills. Uh, because you, you really gotta be like, it's, it's crazy. Everybody has a tracking device. Everybody is constantly having their location monitored, uh, willingly. And, yeah. And unfortunately, you know, the ones that do become victim nowadays to serial killers are unfortunately the ones that aren't missed. The less dead. Um, like the homeless or prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they're getting up to, you know, three, four, five, and more victims. It's because no one, unfortunately, I, don't, I hate to say it, no one's caring as much about them going missing in large numbers or even connecting the dots because they think, oh, they're transits, they just moved to another city, when really they've been murdered. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It's, I've heard a lot of people refer to them as the less dead. Uh, you know, yeah. the, these people that when they die or go missing, nobody really cares. Like you said, homeless, prostitutes, 
statistically, if you're a black prostitute, nobody's coming looking for you. Yeah, 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 no one. Yeah, uh, you know, and that's it's it that that is horrible, and I I can fully see why some of these predators would be targeting that end of society because you know nobody's looking, especially even if the body turns up. Nobody, mm-hmm. there's no nobody cares. You didn't kill somebody's, some rich kid's daughter. You know, you didn't do, I, you know. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I also subscribe to the thought, they moved out to the National Forest. I was waiting for you to say that one. I, I knew oh, yeah. you loved that one. It's it's yes. terrifying. Oh, I, you've heard my story. I'll share yes. it here in a minute. Absolutely. Uh, we The National Forest, Missing 411, is, is our second most popular, or no, is it? No, it's our second most popular episode ever is Missing 401, The Bigfoot Connection. Uh, we're, we got in the works a normal Missing 401 episode. I'm trying to get a hold of David Pilates. He does podcasts every once in a while. So no, n- nobody at home, nobody get your hopes up, but we'll see. Uh, but I think they moved. I don't think the number really went down as much as we pretend it went down. I don't think so either. I think they moved out to the national parks because guess what? Most people are in one two groups. Or Alaska. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started on Alaska. Alaska has the most disappearances, the most murders, and the most murderers in the country because they, they take felons. Uh, but like Wayne National Forest here in Ohio has on average 40-something-ish missing people a year. Nobody talks about it. Nobody. I lived there never knew that. Like literally, I the house I lived in was in the middle of Wayne National Forest, and I seen one missing person thing once, and it was a from a family from New York that their daughter was like hiking that area and disappeared, and nobody cared because everybody knows you don't go out there. So we, I'll tell the story. Uh, it was probably ten of us. We hiked in Wayne National when I was in college. I think it was all guys, and college guys getting drunk. So it's not. There's, you know, between 10 of us, there might be 3,000 pounds of people out here. So we weren't a easily targeted group. You know, we're not a single woman hiker. It's a little more hard to mess with 10 college age guys. Uh, so we go out, we go hike, I don't know, X many miles. We're, we're really far in Wayne National late at night. Uh, we have a fire in one of the designated fire areas. Um, and we're sitting there. It's probably midnight, 1230. And we're all sitting around, and this guy starts walking, like, towards us. And we just assumed it was a guy that was hiking and going to sit by the fire for a bit. That happens out there. You know, there's a, it's, it's a big, it's a national forest, but it's a popular national forest. Uh, but no, he, we say hi to him, he ignores us, and then he pretty much walks in the middle of ours, and walks almost in the middle of the fire, and keeps walking, will not answer us, will not look at us, will not acknowledge us. We are not there to this guy. Uh, and he, and then he keeps walking right back into the darkness. Never. It's like, I, I almost got ghost vibes off the man. And we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, well, guess what? We're not staying in the night. We pack everything up and we walk out of way national in the dark, which is extremely dangerous. But we're like staying here and trying to sleep. That man is much more dangerous. Uh, there's homeless camps out in Wayne National, which I've hung out with those people. There is a lot of mental illness in our homeless population, but I don't think they're the issue. 
but they'll warn you. Uh, there was a guy that was skunk named Skunk. He'd come down to the the campus and talk to you. He'd trade stuff, mostly mushrooms for fishing gear. Uh, and he would say like, "Hey, you know, don't hang out in these areas at night. There's people out there we don't like and stuff like." And these are the people that live out there, right? And I don't know. I think I think there's a lot more happening in our national parks, like the missing four and one stuff. People like to shake the stick at Bigfoot. I I think. That's, I don't know, 1% of them may be Bigfoots. Uh, but there's a lot of disappearances in our national parks. I think David Politis, Politis, Politis has around 1,200 a year that get inducted into the survey. And he has very stringent criteria for making it in. So there's other mis- disappearances that don't make it in, much more that don't make it in in our national parks. And the problem is there's no centralized database to record these people going missing in the national parks. The number can be far higher than we ever could have imagined, especially if people are going in, again, who don't have loved ones outside of the national park to report them missing. Even so, even if they do, and they live halfway across the country, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, like you can go there and and protest and search, but you you can't sustain that. I mean, right? And they have their own investigators, their own police force, so it's not like you know your local police is going to go in and investigate, or even you know the FBI typically is not going in. And helping out with these investigations. So you're kind of SOL in that sense. If you go missing in the national park. Unless you are a pretty white girl who gets national attention. Then your body will be found. But everyone else just, you don't get found. Yeah. I, I agree with that pretty much. I'm trying to think which one you're, you're talking about the one that they were found in Florida. She wasn't found in Florida, but he was. Her he was. Boyfriend was found in swamp in Florida. Absolutely, yeah. yes. Oh gosh, yeah, yeah. Don't go to Florida if you're on the run. He lived there. I know, but that was not a wise move. Anyways, that's a whole nother bag of cats. That's a whole nother conspiracy theory I got on that. So. <laughs> but that, that. Thank you very much for coming on. I'm going to end the episode here. I think we're over three hours. Oh, gosh. And I was worried we wouldn't even get to an hour. Uh, I was not worried about that. Uh, I think we are at three hours. So once again, Rachel, thank you very much for coming on. I've had a ball. Absolutely. This will not be the only time. I can guarantee that. Hopefully, I'll have the other guys with us. Yes, I can talk serial killers or just criminal aspects all day long well thank you again all right guys i'm going to close out so thank you you've been listening to crypts of the corn our first serial killer episode hopefully not our last it depends on how you guys feel about it uh please join if you want extra content join the patreon we have t-shirts available we're working on a website all right guys you've been listening to cryptids of the corn Be sure to join us in the next episode where we tantalize your intellect and expand the horizons of your mind. If you're enjoying the show, 
please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we really appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Until then, stay magical. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.